Welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I'm a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. My guest this evening is Jim Fetzer, a former Marine Corps officer. He has published widely on the theoretical foundations of scientific knowledge, computer science, artificial intelligence, cognitive science, and evolution and mentality. He's a graduate of Princeton who majored in philosophy. He earned his Ph.D. in the history and philosophy of science. He has received many awards and forms of recognition for his teaching and scholarship. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. feels great to be back already. Great to see you out there. Another week, another shooting. It never seems to end. I hope you are all safe out there, wherever you may be on this island earth. Jim Fetzer joining me here yet again in a moment. Let me bring him in. Jim, what's going on? Oh, Michael, Michael, Michael. Surprise, surprise. You see, I mean, they're taking down my my videos all over the place. In fact, uh, Mike Adams, who's been ranked number second most influential on the Internet after Alex Jones has just published a piece about me on Natural News' most dangerous mind in America because everyone who interviews me, everyone who puts up my stuff finds it's taken down. They lose their channels. Happened to uh, Richie Allen, lost his YouTube channel after he interviewed me about Parkland. Carrie Cassidy uh, lost her uh, standing when she did an interview with me and Oli Damagard. Alfred uh, Weber. Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous, uh, Michael. It's just ridiculous. This, so the fact that we get yeah. bounced here, and I'll tell you, I'm having this very weird experience on my uh, on my uh, own blog. And this is surprising. Someone's actually got to have a very strong background in IT to get into my blog. I have double verification. They're taking down images that are crucial to understanding that the Sandy Hook hoax because we've made major advances. In fact, Michael, we I have a very important development to discuss with you, which is this. We had already established that Noah Posner – who is the most interesting of the Sandy Hook children because he not only died on 14 December 2012 in Newtown, Connecticut, but again on 16 December 2014 in Pakistan, where his photograph appeared with those of other children victims of a shooting there, uh, when uh, Lenny, his father, had over 100 hours of conversation with Kelly Watt, who's a very astute student of Sandy Hook. She told him she didn't believe a word he said, didn't believe... He had a son, didn't believe he died, asked for a proof. Inadvisedly, no doubt, he sent her a copy of a death certificate that turned out to be a fabrication, the bottom half of a real death certificate, the top half of a fake, and it had no file number, had the wrong estimated time of death at 11 a.m. 
when we uh, uh, the shooting officially took place between 9:35 and 9:40. Uh, uh, but what we have we established that in fact, and it was Kelly too who made this observation. She thought there was a striking similarity between the Noah Noah and a fellow who's supposed to be his older stepbrother or half brother, Michael Vabner. Right, Michael Vabner. Yeah. So six of us went to work on this challenging project. And we uh, discovered they had the same eyes, they had the same ears, they had the James General shape, shape and size of the skull. And I asked Larry Rivera, who'd done brilliant work on JFK, including doing superpositions on this figure in the doorway of the most famous photograph from the assassination, where you see a panorama of Dealey Plaza. You have the Daltex in the background, the book depository to the left, the county records building a bit on the right. You see JFK is clutching his throat. He's just been hit by a shot that actually passed through the windshield. If you look where his left ear would be, if his left ear were visible, you'll see a small white spiral nebula with a dark hole in the center indicative. We've got a fellow in the south who's gone through junkyards firing high-powered rifles at junk cars, and he finds... Not only do they make exactly that impression in the glass, a small white spiral nebula with a dark hole in the center, but they make the sound of a firecracker passing through, Michael, which is important because many of the witnesses report, said that uh, reported what they took to be the first shot sounded different than the others. It sounded like a firecracker. <clears throat> well, it was far from the first shot, but... Only only three shots fired from the Daltex with a Mannlicher Carcano were unsilenced. Those happened to be have been fired by an anti-Castro Cuban by the name of Nestor Tony Escadro. All the others were silenced. This particular shot that hit Jack in the throat appears to have been fired from inside the triple underpass by an Air Force expert by the name of Jack Lawrence. He went to work for the car dealership that provided the vehicles for the motorcade just a few days in advance, and this is a most unusual motorcade, Michael, because it's vehicles of all different makes, models, and colors. Now, any other presidential motorcade, you'll see they're all universally black, limousines, almost always Cadillacs. Uh, in this case, they had them all different models and colors, so the perps would know exactly where everyone was. They also rearranged the motorcade from the standard where the presidential vehicle would be in the middle and he'd be preceded by the lower ranking dignitaries like the mayor, the vice president. There should have been a flatbed truck with a, for the photographers to have their movie equipment on top of it and, and TV because this was a major political event they were following. Instead, that flatbed truck was canceled. The president's military aide would normally have sat in the front seat in between the driver, William Greer, and the agent in charge, Roy Kellerman was actually moved to the very last vehicle in the motorcade along with the president's personal physician to make it maximally awkward to get the, his physician to him should he need emergency help. And, and Michael, if they hadn't moved the military aid, the bullet that hit Jack in the throat would have hit the aid. So, I mean, all this is done with great uh, consciousness of forethought, very meticulous planning for the assassination. But what we found is they altered the alchins in many different ways. There are all kinds of areas of the photograph that are subjected to alteration. A fellow named Dennis Camino who does quite brilliant work, who was the top electronics troubleshooter for the Navy before he left and went to work for Raytheon, uh, did extensive work on the photograph and how many ways it had been altered. But in the back area there, there's this figure leaning out, 
uh, that many of us have believed was Lee Oswald. It's the right height, weight, build, shirt, T-shirt. I mean, there's a, a whole story that goes with this. But what Larry uh, did, and this is the reason I'm speaking of him now in the context of Sandy Hook. Right. He did, sup he did superpositions, Michael. He found suitable photographs of the alternative candidate. The government claims it's a fellow named Billy Lovelady who himself had said he thought it was odd they'd be confused because he was two to three inches shorter, 15 to 20. Yes. Minimally pounds heavier. And in fact, Billy had gone to the FBI on the 29th of February, 1964, at their request wearing the shirt he'd worn on that occasion, which was a short sleeve, red and white vertically striped shirt, completely unlike the one on the figure in the doorway we're addressing. In fact, Billy was standing to his side with his hands raised to protect his eyes from the sun. But when Larry did superpositions, I mean, we already knew it was Lee because the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, and the T-shirt. But when he did superpositions of the facial features on the man in the doorway, they fit Lee Oswald hand in glove. They did not fit Billy Lovelady. The nose was wrong. The ears were wrong. The chin was wrong. It's just a powerful form of confirmation. So when we discovered that uh, Noah Posner was appeared to have been made up by uh, photographs of Michael Vabner when he was younger. I invited Larry to do a GIF. And, in fact, w this is one that has been taken down most frequently by the party, whom I actually believe is this Lenny Posner himself, and I'll add a few reasons why I think so, coming into my blog, because it's such a powerful proof, because you can watch Noah Posner turn into Michael Vabner. Yes, I'm on your site right now. And, by the way, I have to say, you've continued time and time again to connect the dots and present superb arguments that raise question. And I don't always agree with everything anyone says. However, I do agree with you on most things you do say, Jim. Well, and I have the benefit of, you know, bringing in other experts. Uh, for example, in relation to the Sandy Hook book, uh, which I, I published in 2015 on the 22nd of October, which had sold nearly 500 copies when they banned it on 19 November because it was too hot. It blew apart the official account. I had 13 contributors, Michael, including six current or retired PhD professors. It's like with my work on JFK. I brought in experts in fields where I am not, a world authority on the human brain, who's also an expert on wound ballistics, a PhD in physics, who's also an MD, board certified in radiation oncology, which is a treatment of cancer using x-ray therapy. So when he entered the National Archives for the first time in, uh, in late uh, 1992, he told me before he went in, he thought he'd find both evidence of a second shot to the head and also that the x-rays had been altered. Indeed, he found both. I mean, this was the beginning of the decisive scientific refutation of the official account and shattering the cover-up. A, a world, another uh, MD who had been in, in, in trauma room number one when JFK's moribund body was brought in and then two days later was responsible for the care and treatment of his alleged assassin. I mean, I, I do this regularly and repeatedly. Michael, so I've done it now. You know, I I had uh, two dozen books when I when I retired after a 35 year career offering primarily courses in logic, critical thinking, and scientific reasoning in 2006. And since then, I have published a dozen more, including uh, you know a whole lot on these various conspiracies. So that you know, we establish so much evidence in their support that it's really 
inappropriate to call them theories, although there's a scientific sense of the word that fits perfectly, which means an empirically testable explanatory hypothesis. What we provide are, are theories uh, about conspiracies that are scientific testable that we have confirmed by testing them repeatedly. And, and indeed, that raises a very interesting methodological point, Michael, which is this. The so-called conspiracy theorists actually have adopted are employing the falsificationist methodology advanced by the great British philosopher Sir Karl Popper, who suggested the only way you can uh, gain evidence to support a theory is by unsuccessful attempts to falsify the theory. In other words, you try to show it's false, you're unsuccessful. Uh, that suggests it may be true, though you may have not yet discovered how to falsify it. Well, it, when we discovered the autopsy x-rays had been altered by patching a fist-sized blowout at the back of the head, which David also discovered, and that there was evidence of a second shot to the head, which David also discovered, and that the brain shown in diagrams and photographs of the National Archives that purports to be of JFK can't even be the brain of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, which I could have concluded, given the descriptions of the physicians about cerebellar as well as cerebral tissue extruding from this blowout at the back of the head, where the cerebellum is a compact part of the brain just above the brain stem. And in order for cerebellum to be <coughs> extruding, very serious damage had to be <coughs> had to occur to the cranium and to the brain. And yet, <coughs> in this brain shown in the diagrams and photographs in the National Archives, Michael, the brain is virtually completely intact. So I could have drawn the inference comparing, you know, what the Parkland physicians were saying one after another after another about the well, the brain tissue extruding, where Jack actually had half his brains blown out in Dealey Plaza, that what we see in these diagrams and photographs couldn't possibly be the brain of JFK, but how much better that we receive that opinion from a world authority on the human brain. Yes, and James, I must thank you once again for being here. It's always an honor and privilege to speak to you. And like I said earlier, before we got knocked off, you've done a wonderful job with all your extensive coverage on all these subjects like JFK and 9-11 and Sandy Hook and uh, the Parkland, Florida incident, the Las Vegas shooting, and the list goes on. And I must ask you, Jim, for the newer listeners out there, I would like for you to put this in a proper perspective for them. <laughs> Um, what exactly is the motivating factor for you to pursue this path so passionately, Jim? Well, I, I hate liars and the, the lying liars who tell them to adopt the title of a book by Al Franken, who's no longer in the Senate because of his sexual improprieties. Very interesting development. I had ceased being a, f a fan of Al Franken long ago and was particularly dismayed when he grilled Jeff Sessions uh, as a candidate, a nominee for the attorney generalship, because he was virtually sadistic in the way he was going after Jeff Sessions. I thought it was completely inappropriate and out of place. Uh, so, you know, I didn't shed tears when Al Franken was taken out. He actually occupies the seat formerly held by Paul Wellstone. And when uh, Paul's plane went down, I was actually in my office uh, on the Duluth campus of the University of Minnesota. I'd wind up publishing 10 articles and an alternative newspaper there. I'd be put on uh, coast to coast uh, uh, after publishing the first, where the the guest host, and Ian Prunett, who was from St. Paul himself, thought, I think, oh, I didn't know enough about it to be able to cope with it, but I already knew so much. That's that right. Was, you've, only, you've only been on there once with uh, Ian Punnett. 
Once with Ian and four four other times with uh, George Norrie. But uh-huh. when I yes. since I began talking about 9/11 and the role of Israel, and that began my first political speech, Michael, was in 2008 on the around ran Ron Paul Freedom Rally on the grass outside of the Capitol on 15 April 2008. I gave a talk that would subsequently be published as 9/11 and the neocon agenda where I was explaining why it was inappropriate to ever put a dual citizen in a policy-shaping or decision-making position because you cannot know that their loyalty to the other state does not weigh their loyalty to the United States, and therefore all such dual citizens ought to be removed from any such positions. It turns out that there was a whole group of neocons in the Department of Defense who'd come from the Project for a New American Century who were dual U.S.-Israeli citizens. In fact, uh, you know, Dov Zakheim, who was a controller of the Pentagon at the time, was uh, not only a dual citizen but even a rabbi. He had a remote control airplane system manufacturing company. Many believed, as do I, that the initial plan was to fly remotely controlled planes into the World Trade Center. But the problem they encountered was it wasn't physically possible to get a real plane with uh, into the building because they were designed so solidly with this external steel support column, some 230 uh, sides to it. I mean, just amazing uh, how extensive it was in relation to four, Massey 47 core columns so that they – they were connected by steel trusses at one end of the core columns at the ex- other to the external steel support columns and filled with uh, four to eight inches of concrete, the variance being because the trusses had four-inch deep V grooves. So in some areas it would be four and others eight inches. The buildings were 208 feet on a side. That meant every floor represented a, a, an acre of concrete on a steel truss. And, of course, I mean, these these external support columns, uh, Michael, were massive. I mean, they were very solid. So it would have been physically impossible for planes to enter. In fact, they had to therefore fake it. It's very, very interesting in retrospect that Donald Trump was interviewed in New York City the very day, 9-11. He got on a couple of shows because he was a major builder in the city and because he – the same people who had constructed the World Trade Center were working for him, as he explained during the interview. He said something else had to be involved. He said it was impossible that planes could have done it. He said they couldn't got, have got into the building. Something else had to be involved, such as bombs. Well, he had the right idea. In fact, it turns out to have been a very sophisticated arrangement of mini or micro nukes, where these uh, these were refined from Davy Crockett tactical uh, 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 nuclear warheads for recoilless rifles. Hundreds of them were given uh, to the, the Israel. They took them back and refined them and then brought them in, according to some reports, in a submarine to be distributed in the in the World Trade Center, in the in the Twin Towers, in a sophisticated arrangement where these had a dialable radius. They could be directed upward, and they were set off to, to blow the building apart from the top down. And, in fact, that's one of the fascinating aspects it shows the extent to which the human mind uh, can accept what it's told, even when it contradicts what the eye is seeing, because we were told it was a collapse, Michael, but in fact the buildings are blowing apart in every direction from the top down. They're being converted into millions of cubic yards of very fine dust. 
that's not the behavior of a building under collapse. We actually saw that seven hours later when so-called Building 7, a 47-story structure, did collapse. Uh, that was a classic controlled demolition, yet all the floors coming down at the same time. And when it was over, there was a pile of debris equal to 12% of the height of the original are about five and a half floors. Now, if there had been a collapse of the Twin Towers, and since they were 110 floors, 12% would have been about 13 and a half floors apiece. But there was nothing there in their footprint. In fact, their father, Frank Morales, from St. Mark's Episcopal Church, was on my own then radio shows twice, and both times he affirmed the buildings were destroyed to or even below ground level. And in fact, we have lots of photographic confirmation which is one of the reasons we know this was done with nukes, Michael, but by far from the only, for example, the U.S. Geological Survey conducted dust sample studies from 35 locations in Manhattan and discovered a host of elements, barium, strontium, lithium, lanthanum, lanthanum, tritium, some of which only exist in radioactive forms that in their quantities and correlations were indicative of a nuclear event. Uh, and we've had a host of uh, medical maladies by first responders and residents of the area uh, with all kinds of weird diseases associated oh, yes. with exposure to ionizing radiation, such as leukemia, multiple myeloma, esophageal, pancreatic, other forms of cancer, as many as 70,000. And in fact, you see, the conversion of materials into very fine dust is another signature of nuclear events. So the fact you had, uh, you know, Manhattan was coated with, I think, about two and a half inches of dust. I mean, it was just staggering how much was everywhere, Michael. So, so we know how it was done, and it's very, very different than, uh, you know, the, the, the government would want us to believe because, after all, they foisted off the myth that it was a, a collapse. Right. And by and the I, way, I, by the way, Jim, I'm sorry to make you uh, stop no, there, no, but no. but have, have you ever actually visited Ground Zero? By the way, uh, let me see. I've been to New York many times, of course, and uh, see, they have these two enormous fountains, you know, decorative fountains. I believe that's because the effects of the radioactivity, the dissociation. Uh, uh, residue made it impossible to build on the exact site. So they had to put in these fountains. I've even been told that they, they include boron, that the, the water there is actually a kind of a system filtering the residue of the radioactivity from the original event. Yeah, I recall the 90 tons of concrete and all of that being moved away in uh, those big um, garbage trucks, I recall. You know, that, that brings me back to, uh, Mayor Giuliani once again and, um, his involvement on Pier 92, if you recall. Yeah, 92. Mm hmm. What do yeah. you get? Yeah. What do you make of his involvement on 9-11? Michael, I missed the name. Uh, that's, uh, Mayor, former Mayor Giuliani. Oh, Giuliani. Oh, sure. Giuliani was involved. There's no doubt about it. I he mean, it's very, had, very troubling. Right. He had prior knowledge. Well, of course he did. 100% he had prior knowledge. I mean, the whole transfer of the World Trade Center was done in anticipation of these events. He had key players in the Port Authority who were involved in doing this. I have a whole video about it where I go through each of the key players by name. Uh, but the, the proof positive about Giuliani, you know, this was election day in New York City. He actually wanted to be reelected mayor. He thought maybe he'd be mayor for life because of this. He did not go to his command and control center, which was in Building 7. But 
an employee of the New York Emergency Management Unit did go there. His name was Barry Jennings. He went up to the, the two floors that the mayor had, which had their own water and air supply. Uh, he found half-eaten sandwiches, still steaming cups of coffee. A fireman came along and said, we got to get you out of here. While he was in there, he heard explosions going off inside the building. At one point, a stairwell was uh, blown out from under him. He felt himself, uh, at another point, stepping over dead bodies. He couldn't see them, but he could feel them. I don't have think there's any doubt about what he was experiencing when he got out. He did several different interviews, uh, some of which are still online, but I've, you know, captured them in, uh, I did a recent on Building 7 with Nick Kohlerstrom from the UK, where Nick has been a, a prominent contributor to research on a, a whole wide range of issues involving these false flag attacks, which, by the way, is best understood as one conducted uh, in a way to, to blame a party that was not responsible to gain political advantage. Just to give you a trivial example, between the destruction of the South Tower and the First, they actually were playing footage of Palestinians rejoicing to convey the false impression that Palestinians were happy about this. In fact, they were just as slack-jawed and stunned as the rest of the world. It was archival footage, Michael, that they just happened to have at hand to play from a much distant political or religious event where they were rejoicing. Uh, not only that, but a phone call was made. I mean, this is deliberately placed, saying that, uh, you know, the P Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine claiming responsibility. Poppycock! This is all complete rubbish. The Palestinians couldn't possibly have done it. This was a high-tech, very sophisticated op, where analysts around the world generally agree there were only two agencies in the world that could have pulled it off. Those were the CIA and the Mossad, and on 9-11, they were working in concert together. Yes, I agree with you on all of those uh, fronts there. And that reminds me of an article of John McCain just uh, recently published. Did you happen to see that about um, the Iraq war and how it was a mistake, according to uh, McCain? He's taking blame for it. Well, I, you know, I haven't seen that. That would be one of the better things that uh, John McCain has ever done because he was, uh, you know, not uh, – <laughs> Trump once said to McCain, you know, when he was asked whether he wasn't a hero, you know, he likes his uh, his military who aren't captured. The fact is there are many reports that McCain sang like a canary when he was in the hands of the North Vietnamese and they treated him, uh, you know, with special. Sure. You know, they like they gave him uh, a first-class treatment. He did have broken arms, of course, from the the crash of his plane, uh, but he was also responsible for the death of many sailors when he did a hot dog stunt taking off on a carrier by using his, his afterburner prematurely, and it led to the death of a whole group of, of, of sailors who were there, you know, supervising the takeoff of the plane. John McCain, we also have photographs of him with uh, uh, al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS. That's in fact, true. ISIS was created by the United States in 2012, Michael, yeah, by we'll, we'll John Brennan, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama to bring we'll, pressure on right. Bashir al-Assad and eventually upon the Persian nation of Iran. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in a moment here. I, I did want to talk about that sort of thing, but in his new memoir, uh, McCain, who is battling brain cancer, writes that the Iraq war can't be judged as anything other than a mistake, a very serious one. And I have to accept my share of the blame for it. And that was reported on Politico. Well, I'll tell you what I think, Michael. Very interesting he, he, comments. Well, he's approaching his death. That's I true. Mean, you know, mm -hmm. he, 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 
So the guy, you know, this, this says to me he's he's got a conscience. He's got a conscience, right. Yeah, uh, some lingering conscience now. I think for the most part, you know, he's been a rabid neocon. He's been promoting all these wars. So I'm not uh, – uh, this is not going to convert me to become a fan of John McCain. I couldn't have voted for John McCain when he ran for president. Uh, uh, in fact, it's interesting to me that I, you know, was very much – a supporter in general of Democratic candidates in the past until the era of Donald Trump. I voted for for Bill Clinton twice. I voted for Barack Obama twice. I, I now believe both of them did immense damage to the United States. Just to give a couple of illustrations, uh, Bill Clinton introduced NAFTA, uh, which, of course, you know, Ross Perot warned us that NAFTA was going to, you know, that giant sucking sound was all the jobs going south that was going to destroy the manufacturing basis for the United States, which essentially is what happened, and we're still enduring the consequences. Uh, Bill Clinton was also the first to violate the solemn agreements entered into between Mikhail Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan about the absolute neutrality of the Eastern Bloc countries that we become solo, uh, sovereign states with the dissolution of the Soviet Union, where uh, we, we uh, you know, meticulously negotiated treaties uh, by Special Ambassador Lee Wanta specified the West would make no effort to convert them to NATO nations, to militarize them or otherwise infringe on their political independence. Well, Bill Clinton initiated the violation of those solemn agreements. And, of course, as you know now, I mean, we've also intervened in the Ukraine with uh, $5 billion of American taxpayer money, Victoria Nuland, under Barack Obama uh, to uh, bring about a coup in Ukraine and drive out the democratically elected president of the Ukraine. I mean, it's just god-awful what we've done there. Install a stooge, and we put all these missile systems along yes. the Russian border on the basis of an exaggerated threat from Iran, which is another reason now why the Donald pulling out of the Iran deal was catastrophic, in my opinion. Iran was, uh, I believe Iran probably did initiate the development of nuclear weapons uh, around 2003 because uh, even the highest authorities of the United States, Dick Cheney, Condoleezza Rice, uh, Scooter Libby, were asserting that uh, Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. Condoleezza Rice was talking about a mushroom cloud, and this was attributed to Iraq. So Iran, having endured this massive war between 1980 and 1988, in which both sides lost about a million, this was instigated by the United States. No doubt, as all these wars in the Middle East have benefited Israel, I mean, the United States doesn't have a bona fide interest there, even though, of course, we intervene in, in Iranian political affairs in 1953 by executing a coup that took out their democratically elected government and installed the tyrannical regime of the Shah, so that when the, there was the reestablishment of the uh, uh, Islamic Republic of Iran in 1979, taking the U.S. embassy most Americans to this day, Michael, don't understand that we struck the first blow. We corrupted their government. Of they course. were regaining control we, of their government after the United States meddling. We, we so, really have a history of just getting involved with, uh, you know, dictators that we probably shouldn't, like Arafat, Hussein, bin Laden, Gaddafi. The, the list goes on. And even before that, um, to get some sort of a proper perspective on the Iran situation, as you said, the CIA is definitely to blame. You could just look back at Operation Ajax, and that yeah. will tell you just yeah. about everything you need to know.
Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Michael. And, and uh, you know, it's just fascinating what's going on here. It really is. Uh, in terms of politics, and you know, that McCain now is feeling bad about it. Well, this is after we've slaughtered hundreds of thousands, even millions. You know, uh, I have a, a friend who came by unexpectedly uh, yesterday and stayed overnight who had just returned from a visit to Vietnam. It's an unusual story because uh, his, 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 his father and his best friend had gone to, to Vietnam uh, to gather as grunts, and the, the friend had been killed. And when the, uh, his father returned, he met the, the sister of his best friend, and they fell in love and married and produced my friend. Really? You know, so he had this special connection to Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, but to my and he even brought a newspaper where the local paper had written up this story about his trip to Vietnam and this, you know, fascinating story about how his parents had met and so forth. I mean, he'd gone to Saigon. He'd been to, you know, the My Lai village where they have a monument to the massacre. Uh, uh, he had seen craters where for B-52s had dropped their bombs. You, would you believe we dropped more bombs in Vietnam than were dropped in all of World War II? He went to Hanoi. He saw the, you know, Ho Chi Minh mausoleum. Well, he's back now, of course, and he was heading down to Chicago from Minnesota where he resides and came by and stayed with us overnight. And I wanted to, you know, watch a movie with him. To my size, we'd never seen Apocalypse Now. So we watched Apocalypse Now, which, of course, is just a demonstration of the insanity of the Vietnamese war. I mean, right. my God. It's a good movie, though. Oh, I love it. It's I a good love film. it. Actually, this this is interesting, Michael. Uh, I had a, a copy of this uh, special edition that's expanded by, I would say, twenty twenty five minutes. There's a longer discussion of the of the plantation scene where he's visiting with a Frenchman who were there in Vietnam. There's an extended, uh, disc, you know, of the cavorting with the playmates. Uh, uh, after the, you know, the bizarre, uh, USO event there. <laughs> I, uh, but <laughs> yes. it actually didn't make the film better. The, the earlier version, the leaner, meaner is actually a better film. So I had mixed feelings after watching it with him, given that I had, you know, seen for the first time myself this expanded edition. I think the shorter, uh, was better, but he having never seen the film, I think he got additional insights into what was going on there after having been to Vietnam and having such a great interest in what was going on. Uh, uh, of course, uh, Nixon, you know, uh, I get involved in discussions about gun control, and, and I think that one of the calamitous decisions of a, a recent president was when Nixon ab abolished the draft. And the reason is you have all these young kids now are going out to campaign for gun control. Not only are the, the prime players, the David Hoggs and the Emma Gonzalez, totally fake. I mean, these are people who are groomed for their role. Not only were, were these shootings not real, uh, up Parkland, it turns out we have the same progressive figured out where the other 3,500 students were. She's looked at four hours of video over and over again. She can't find more than three, maybe even four dozen students total. And it turns out that in uh, Florida on Valentine's Day, they let the kids go early at one o'clock. Th this, I think, explains why David Hogg explained six hours after he did his speech at the March for Our Lives, which the permit process for which, by the way, had to begin, be initiated six months before the march. 
So they were actually initiating obtaining the permits for Washington, D.C. back in August and September for the march on the 25th of March, claiming it was uh, initiated or inspired by the shooting at Parkland on Valentine's Day, which is yeah. all complete and other nonsense. Uh, but David Hogg, after he gave his speech during, during the march, was interviewed on CBS, and he explained during the interview how he'd uh, jumped on his – he heard something was going on at school, and he jumped on his bike and rode back to school. I think he he got out of school at 1 o'clock with everyone else went home, and it slipped his mind they were doing the, the – the, you know, the, rehearsing the scene that day, which was completely fabricated. Uh, it, it, and, Michael, just add one or two more points. I mean, this is uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, district is nearby. She has a daughter who attends one of the Broward schools. The Broward sheriff – uh, kept uh, four deputies from going into the school because they weren't snapped in, that this was all simulated. There were officers in uniform who are firing at students using what's known as simunition. This is simulated ammunition made out of beeswax and laundry detergent. So it would create a welt. It would sting, but it wouldn't even penetrate the skin. So we had these various medical miracles coming out of Parkland where Maddie Wilford, for example, is supposed to have been shot in the stomach and shot in the chest with an AR-15. Had that been true, she'd be dead, not walking around, you know, a week later. The physician, who is just bald-faced lying to the public, says these were serious wounds with, a, you know, large caliber. When the, the AR-15 fires a two two three, just slightly larger than a twenty two, so it's small caliber, but it's high velocity and it does tremendous damage to the human body. He explained her miraculous recovery, saying, young people heal faster. I mean, Michael, this is just so <laughs> really? insulting. So they really, insulting. But they really say that. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta see that. Than the New York Times. <laughs> I mean, it's just insulting. That's ridiculous, yes. Have, and then you had another, Samantha Fuentes, who, who's walking around a week later being interviewed, and she's got Band-Aids on each of her legs. She's supposed to have been shot in each leg with an AR-15. Well, the New York Times itself ran a little video about the tra traumatic damage to legs when you're shot with an AR-15. It shatters the bone, rips up the muscle. She could cover her wounds with Band-Aids because it was with simunition. It wasn't with AR-15 ammunition. And, and get this. This is a really doozy. Uh, uh, I was very surprised, but now, of course, saying progressive has explained why we didn't have hundreds of videos from the students of what was going on at Parkland. Right. We've got well, 3,500 students. I've only seen one, I, I believe, one or two videos of the incident, and I did see a body. Well, let me talk about that. Go ahead. Because, yes. you know, there should have been hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of them. I mean, they aren't there. The we should have. Because the students weren't there. We so should have more. Yeah, we should have way more. Videos. We should have way more cell phone footage. That is true. Of course. Of course. Of course. Now, there's one 52-second clip that was released by LiveLeaks inside a classroom. That's the one I've seen. I yes. This, yeah, I, I discuss this in great detail in several of my, uh, you know, uh, uh, video programs about Parkland and interviews I give. You can hear students doing their best imitation of crying, but one's preoccupied with her bottled water. Why would you worry about your bottled water? And by the way, bottled water is ubiquitous at these events. They had boxes of bottled water at the firehouse in Sandy Hook. That students were toting around boxes of bottled waters in Umpqua College out in Oregon. Uh, at, at this thing in Santa Fe, we have students clutching their bottles of bottled water. I mean, it, it's part of what goes on with these uh, exercises. 
the vast majority of which turn out to be FEMA drills, but we don't have the manual in all the cases as we do for Sandy Hook. But in any case, in this 52-second clip that was released by Live Leaks, she, she, they're, they're, they're doing a bit of crying, doing their best. You got uh, one girl worried about her bottled water. You got another with her iPod. You got a, a boy who's pulling his pots. You look there on the ground, and there appears to be a body. But, Michael, it doesn't have arms or legs. It's a training dummy, and it's on fake blood. This is what they did in Boston. They had fake blood. It actually came out these little orange uh, duffel bags. There were five or six scattered around when you uh, the area where you had all these crisis actors who were, I mean, think of the genius of this. They recruited amputee crisis actors, so when the smoke cleared and the cameras moved in, you see bodies lying there without arms and legs. But there was no blood. I mean, as Lorraine Day, who was the head of trauma surgery, San Francisco General Hospital for 25 years, has observed, you cannot have arms and legs blown off by uh, explosives and there to be no blood. The blood only shows up later, and it's fake blood. It came, came didn't come out of tubes. It came out of these little orange duffel bags. So we also, in this 52-second footage from Parkland, you have a p police running in and out. You think, wow. The Parkland cops are really on top of this, except, Michael, we know they're also actors wearing police uniforms because Parkland gave up its police force in 2004. My goodness. There's also footage. I'm not sure. Well, not footage. There's, I believe, a screenshot of, I think, of a laptop with bullet holes through it. I think that's from the Parkland shooting. And I was wondering, isn't that kind of strange that the laptop stood withstood the force and penetration of a bullet just just staying on on the desk there wouldn't have wouldn't it have fallen and wouldn't have oh, the screen see, of turned course, off of course of course of course a little weird right Fossey bullets are you kidding me you know it's just absurd that what the american people are being subjected to here in terms of uh you know hoaxes that are absolutely groundless i mean it, it it's embarrassingly bad and uh, I, I, I'm I'm fairly shocked that we're seeing anything like it, uh, that the American people are being yeah. are buying it. But then you see uh, the public is so used to watching television and movies that it really can't distinguish between reality and illusion. I mean, for all I know, uh, there's a large segment of the audience thinks someone actually could spin webs and swing from skyscrapers <laughs> to New York City or this guy with a red cape can fly through the sky. Carrying Lois Lane. I mean, you know, Michael, I gotta tell you, my confidence in the, but, but it's really, the problem is not so much the public as it is the mainstream media. Because the media has been totally co-opted. Uh, 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 we did a look at the media lately and had a, there's a, we have a panel of 500 executives for CNN, every one of whom is a U.S. Israeli citizen. We have a panel of 500 from, the New York Times, every one of which is a U.S. Israeli citizen. We have a panel from NBC, a hundred executives, every one of which is a U.S. Israeli citizen. I mean, with, with the CIA began infiltrating the mainstream media back in the 1950s. It was called Operation Mockingbird. So by 1975, William Colby, who was then its director, uh, testified to Congress that the agency owned everyone of any significance in the media. They owned everyone. And, of course, it's become much worse now, which is why uh, the uh, uh, Internet has become such a threat. In fact, yes. we got this, there's this brilliant guy, 
uh, uh, by the name of Preston James. He's a social psychologist. He's very deep into intel, who has uh, explained to me how the Internet has become the new Gutenberg press. That's actually the title of a book he's just published with moonrockbooks.com and why it is so threatening. I think it's also, since I do such a wide range of these issues, why uh, Mike Adams has now published on naturalnews.com an article entitled uh, most, the most dangerous, most dangerous mind in America interviewed on false flags and extreme censorship. And it's me. I mean, he did this interview with me about two months ago, Michael. And, and it was toward the end of the interview that he began telling me that he was going to describe me as the most dangerous mind in America because <laughs> not only were my videos being taken down, but the, the videos and even the YouTube channels of people who interviewed me were being taken down. Myself included, Jim. It's, yeah, I mean, look, it's just incredible, Michael. Richie Allen did an interview with me about uh, about the shooting in Parkland, and the next thing he knew, his YouTube channel had been taken down. But when Mike, Mike Adams was inspired to look at this because uh, he found that an old interview he'd done with me back in 2015 about the banning of the book Nobody Died at Sandy Hook had been taken down. He'd been struck, and they took away his channel. Wow. He had over 1,700 videos, 200,000 subscribers. It's been restored now, but, you know, all the links from the past have been shattered, and he's having to rebuild. In fact, he's going to be announcing a new platform independent of YouTube as an alternative on the 4th of July, and I think we're all going to welcome that. That's going to be a very a, a good thing, a big deal and a good thing. By the way, Jim... I was definitely hit with two copyright strikes, and I actually won my appeal. I might be one of the lucky few. And, again, I had interviewed Alfred Weber, who did report that he was hit with the same kind of a strike that actually forced him off of YouTube. And uh, going back to the, the subject of YouTube and censorship, I believe um, one of your own was also taken off of YouTube. I'm forgetting the, the gentleman's name, but he would... Um, re-upload your interviews. Oh yeah, well, sure. Well, no, I I had a whole site called the the Real Deal. I, we had 215 video interviews I'd been doing. I mean, these were sensational, great interviews in depth. And of course, because it's video, you Gary, can show the evidence. Gary King Honey, is that was that his username? Pardon me. Was it Gary King? Was that the username? Well, Gary King is yet another. Gary, Gary uploads the interviews from he, – he, he's the host of the new JFK show, which ah, I do every week. That's the guy I'm and, thinking about. And yeah, Gary was mm -hmm. struck too. Interesting. Uh, I mean, look, I've been hit on all sides. It's unbelievable. And I've been doing an awful lot for an awful long time. I mean, I had a uh, – we have a, a radio blog with 880 shows, you know, and I've done now, oh, I don't know, six or seven different radio shows. Uh, but the video shows are the ones they seem most upset about, no doubt, because – they're so powerful in terms of the amount of information that's presented when you can actually show the evidence. When I see one of the one of the images that is being taken down repeatedly, and it may actually be my Michael Vabner. I mean, the, the images of Noah Posner were based on Michael Vabner, and I've just had a report uh, from a fellow who went to Michael Vabner's website and discovers Michael Vabner. Yes, is the very guy 
on whom the photos of Noah Posner were based. Michael Vabner turns out to have a background at IT. He's a recent uh, graduate of college, but that would fit, you know, with him having been older when they made up the photos of of uh, uh, Noah Posner. But that tells me this Michael Vabner himself has been coming into the my website and doing the dirty work. You know, it turns out, and this is fascinating, absolutely fascinating, Mona Alexis Presley, who's done such brilliant work in Las Vegas, where she tracked down for the obituaries there, uh, discovering that when they weren't merely photo uh, photoshopped variations of one another, because there are a, a number there that are just the same person in a slightly different mode photographically, that they were based on people who were who died in different states or on different dates or from different causes of death. So that you know what Mona did was to 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 realize that there seemed to be a certain similarity. She's been very good at all this. So she was doing research about Sandy Hook, too, and the alleged decedents and so forth, and Lenny Posner, who we've been trying to sort out forever. Uh, 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 let me give you an illustration of how mysterious Lenny has been. Uh, Showtime has a program called The Dark Net, and they 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 have a, a formula for each of their shows, which is one clear-cut positive use of the Internet, one clear-cut negative use of the Internet, and then a controversial case. So they did a controversial case being Sandy Hook, and they interviewed me and Lenny Posner. Uh, well, when they came to my house and interviewed me and wound up when I saw the images on, on the screen, uh, those were the best definitions of my face I've ever seen in any visual representation, Michael. I mean, they were really high quality. You could see the mole on my cheek. I mean, just the definition of my face was just stunningly good. Well, what about uh, Lenny? He wouldn't allow them to show his face. He remained in the shadow. So here this guy who's supposed to be, you know, a champion of standing up for Sandy Hook justice by going after the hoaxers who don't know what they're talking about, won't even allow his face to be seen. Well, Mona did research and came up with a hypothesis, which makes perfect sense, and which we publish now in one of these blogs that is being attacked, uh, which is that uh, uh, Lenny Posner is actually the father of Michael Vabner, whose name is Reuben Vabner, and it fits. It fits 100%. I mentioned now how Mike uh, Adams had published this piece about the most dangerous mind in America. Well, because he was focusing primarily on Sandy Hook, it's generated an extensive discussion thread. And someone has come on the discussion thread who uses the handle DSON30, D-S-O-N-30. And this is a person who knows way too much about the case, not to be deeply involved. Yes. I myself believe it's Lenny Posner himself. By the way, Jim, you raise a valid point. Um, let me go back uh, to what you were saying about these people knowing too much about this case. I recall many, many years ago in a very popular uh, mixed martial arts um, um, website and, and form Probably one of the, the biggest and popular form there is right now on mixed martial arts. There was a user on there who was affiliated directly with the president of the biggest MMA company you can think of. I won't say the name, um, but this lady worked directly under the president of that company. And uh, for a long time, no one knew this, but she would go on and attack a bunch of people online who were against this uh, certain company. So to me, listening to this, 
it definitely sounds like someone who is on the inside, Jim. Well, it is. And, and what I'm piecing together, and you see, I got this wonderful note just before I came on the air. Uh, 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 listen to this. Go ahead. Hi, hi, Jim. I love your work. After reading your article on Sandy Hook parent Sue Alex Jones, I went to Michael Vabner's personal web page, and on it he posts a resume attached that in one section reads uh, 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 reads a list of what appears to be two years of summer earn, uh, internship. Now, Michael Vabner, now this is the kid on whom Noah was based, okay? He's supposed to be his older half-brother, step-brother. Michael Vabner experienced Info Reliance Corporation, Fairfax, Virginia, June-August 2015 and 2016, June-August 2015-2016. Being of a curious nature, I immediately went to the Info Reliance Corporation website where they list some of their customers. See Info Reliance Corporation customer lift at URL, and here is the URL. The customers include... Defense Information Systems Agency, Defense Logistics Agency, Defense Threat Reduction Agency, Department of Agriculture, Department of Energy, Department of Health and Human Services. In other words, it's a whole list here of, of uh, organizations of the government, uh, most of which are related to uh, intel activity. In other words, this kid himself has training as a spook. He also sent the, the resume for Michael. Now, mind you, this is the very kid on whom Noah was based. He, he's just graduated from the University of Connecticut College of Liberal Arts and Sciences with a degree in economics, with coursework in computing for engineers, object-oriented programming, web design one, and, and it goes on to talk about it. I mean, it's a relatively short because he's relatively new. But I now believe it's Michael Vabner who's coming into web, my website. I thought it was Lenny, but hmm. I would say now, no, it's actually Michael. It probably, it probably is. And, and listen, he he told me to go and look at the and I've just gone to look and I pulled off the image of him from the website and it's the same guy. It's the it's the person on whom the Noah Posner was based. I mean, it's really um, really just amazing how how much uh, this shit is going on. Yes, it, it, it's a phrase. It, no, it's all right. It, it's outrageous and. We've seen an increase in school shootings. It seems like there's one every other week. And, of course, there was another recent one in Indiana, the middle school there. And, of course, we saw the Santa Fe uh, shooting, 10 people shot. Um, what was that, two other 10 students shot and two teachers killed? Is that what it was? I'm not quite sure. Well, I can tell you I can tell you about a lot about that, too. I mean, um, I, I, I know that the shooter was armed with two handguns and uh, with a trench coat. That reminds me that had shades of, I believe, um, Eric and Dylan from Columbine 1999. That's right. They try to get these themes out. So you, it's sort of going to have a multiple uh, an emotional multiplier. Uh, they they actually had an aerial shot where you had about 15 students out on the grass and they were emptying out their backpacks, but it was supposed to represent the string of about 15 students from Sandy Hook when this classic photograph sent around the world. Uh, uh, but this is all staged and fake. We know, for example, about that photograph sent around the world from Sandy Hook uh, that Shannon Hicks, who is the photojournalist for the Newtown Bee, took an earlier photograph about five minutes earlier. In the earlier photograph, you see there. There are parents all over the place. There must be six or eight parents there with their hands in their pockets, their arms folded, I see casually yes. looking on while the policewoman rearranges the kids in the line to get a better shot, Michael. She, the original photograph had a little girl in a pink sweater and a short skirt at the front of the line. They replaced her 
with a taller little boy with a long blue sweater and blue jeans. And it was a better shot. There's no doubt about it. If you look at, at carefully at the back of the line in the earlier photograph, there are actually three parents back there just casually looking on, calling me to refer to this photograph as lounging at the massacre. Now, what they did at uh, Santa Fe, therefore, they got a group of about the same number of students emptying their backpacks and took an aerial photograph and subliminally you'd relate it to that string of students back in, uh, uh, back at Sandy Hook. And, and uh, Jim Stone was jo right on top of this one when it broke. He discovered that even relatively minor websites that had, you know, a small number of participants uh, were having people posting the claim they'd been there and they witnessed the shooting that was supposed to be confirmation that it was real. But there were too many. It was too fast. Not only that, it turns out that the Facebook page for the alleged shooter, who, who, who apparently attended a Greek Orthodox church, I think I had one report even sang in the choir. He played football. I mean, this is not a candidate for a shooting. Uh, that he had this long trench coat, that was actually shown on the Facebook page, and it had a, a, a an iron cross, which, of course, was a Nazi uh, award, an iron cross on one side. It had a little red Antifa pin on its right-hand collar, where Antifa is a, a fascist organization. Typically, it calls itself anti-fascist, but it's a fascist organization. George Soros bust in Antifa and Black Lives Matter into Charlottesville, so that when the mayor ordered the Charlottesville police to stand down, uh, the governor, Terry McAuliffe, who's a buddy of Hillary Clinton, and these these are Democratic uh, stunts to promote the Democratic Party. I'll elaborate on that theme because it's very important the public should understand that they're being subjected to a series of what turned out to be Democratic campaign commercials. The whole March for Our Lives was nothing but an elaborate Democrat voter registration drive that got billions of dollars worth of free publicity. That's what's going on. Uh, they're in such dire straits politically with the collapse of the Russian hacking meme, which, back, by the way, Robbie Mook and John Podesta invented, made up out of whole cloth within 24 hours of Hillary's concession speech in order to obfuscate the, the inadequate campaign they'd run. The fact that the divert attention from the contents of the WikiLeaks revelations, which led directly to Pizzagate, where John Podesta himself is the pedophile in chief, and from Hillary Clinton's own entanglements with Russia, where with the approval of Barack Obama, she sold off 20% of U.S. uranium reserves to Russia for a $145 million contribution to the Clinton Foundation. Now, I say, Michael, that if Julius and Ethel Rosenberg received the electric chair for sharing U.S. atomic secrets with the then-Soviet Union, what do Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama deserve for selling 20% of U.S. uranium to Russia for a $145 million bribe? I mean, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. It truly so, is. It, it truly is. And, and, Jim, just to put things into proper perspective, again, for the newer listener out there, you know, personally, I don't want to believe that all these school shootings are false flag operations, um, but it, it certainly seems that a lot of these are. And I just wanted to quickly ask, which ones do you believe are actually legit? I mean, we could even go back to the 1966 um, University of Texas Tower, the, that shooting there. I'm yeah, just, well, I'm kind of blown away, though. I'm just blown away, though, uh, Jim. The The paradigm has took a bizarre shift. Yes, it has. Well, well, here's the deal, uh, Michael. After 9-11, yeah. 
that they discovered that killing people have problems. That, 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 you know, there were these four widows in New Jersey referred to as the Jersey girls where, uh, Dick Cheney and, and W sought to not even convene a 9-11 commission. I mean, it's unbelievable. They put it off for 441 days after Pearl Harbor, after Yar convened a commission within a week. So did Lyndon Johnson within a week to investigate the assassination of JFK, where Lyndon himself was a pivotal player. I mean, Lyndon's the reason Jack was dead. Jack Ruby himself was telling reporters this would never have happened if someone else had been vice president. And they asked, Jack, are you talking about the man at the top now? And he said, yes. He was saying that this would never have happened had someone other than Lyndon Johnson been the vice president, even offered Adelaide Stevenson as an illustration. And he's 100% correct. I can go about that in great detail. I have a whole two-hour overview, my most recent, entitled JFK, Who Who Is Responsible and Why, an interview I did with Brian Rue, R-U-H-E, that's on BitChute, B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E. They take down all my stuff from YouTube, so I got to put it up in, uh, you know, locations that aren't as familiar to the public and are a little more difficult to access. But if you put in JFK, Who Is Responsible and Why?, Maybe even add, uh, with Dr. Jim Fetzer, which is how Brian titles it, on BitChute, B-I-T-C-H-U-T, you can find it. I also did a two-hour with him parallel about 9-11, 9-11, who was responsible and why, with Dr. Jim Fetzer on BitChute. So you can find those both there, too. But the fact is that the, these women made it politically impossible for Bush and Cheney to not, not convene a 9-11 commission. They they did so, and they initially wanted Henry Kissinger to be the executive director, but that was such a blatant, uh, disgraceful suggestion, given it was too obvious that Kissinger would be involved in covering it up, that they they went to Plan B, which was to appoint a fellow named Philip Zelikow to head the commission. Now Zelikow is a very interesting guy because when I was, you know, when I founded Scholars for 9/11 Truth back in December of 2005. And we took off like a rocket. I did a huge amount of research uh, uh, about the various parties here. And it turns out Philip Zelikow had been an, an academician uh, before he uh, entered uh, government. And, in fact, he his area of specialization had been the creation and maintenance of public myths, Michael, M-Y-T-H-S. I am now convinced that, you know, he was a pr- perfect choice. He actually had completed a draft of the 9-11 Commission report an hour before he shared it with any member of the staff. I believe Philip Zelikow drafted the entire script for 9-11, and therefore, who could be better to put in place to be responsible? And he is now today, uh, I understand, a member of the Department of History at the University of Virginia. I mean, this is disgraceful. It goes deep. Yeah, here, I mean, he's a member of the Department of History at Mr. Jefferson's University. I taught at UVA twice. When, when, when I stepped on too many toes at Kentucky and they, they denied me tenure, I was hired immediately by the University of Virginia as a, a visiting associate professor. In other words, they gave me the promotion the University of Kentucky had denied. Years and years later, I'd be brought back. Spring semester, 1984-85, spring semester, I was brought back as visiting full professor in the Department of Philosophy. So I have a lot of affection for the University of Virginia. And when I did research on what had happened there, 
uh, with his whole Antifa thing and this automobile crash and all that and discovered there'd been two cars, two drivers, two or even three takes that the famous photograph that was published on the cover of on the front page of the New York Times had been photoshopped. Oh, yeah, with the gentleman flying. With a gentleman flying? <laughs> yes. Uh, 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 it, it's just absolutely stunning. So I wrote, when I discovered all that, I wrote to the 85 members of the Department of History, though I must admit I didn't include Philip Zelikow because I hold him in such contempt. I wrote to the president of the university, the provost, the vice president. I wrote to the board of trustees. I wrote to the city council. I laid out the evidence, which ought to have been more than sufficient. They, they didn't raise their least digit in response. My goodness. Uh, yeah. I, I, I got one reply from one shared woman who said she was embarrassed to learn I had anything to do with the University of Virginia. And, and now get this. And this is one of my latest blogs, uh, uh, too. Uh, the New York Times just published a feel-good article about how the fellow who was flying in the air had supposedly pushed a woman out of the way just in time to save her from harm, and they they married. They married. So they had a big story about this wonderful, uh, what, a, what a romantic story. He saves her life, uh, not realizing that what they were doing was celebrating a Charlottesville stuntman uh, that, in fact, you know, the major elements of the story are all wrong because the whole car crash thing was completely contrived. They had the, the vehicles there before. There were actually two or even three takes. We got one take with one vehicle. There were the two different Jars Challengers involved, one of which has a black stripe, one doesn't. One has a sunroof, one doesn't. In any case, you got one take of the vehicle headed toward the crowd, and there's no vehicles around it at all, none, period. So that's one take. Yeah, you but, and uh, uh, Oli did a pretty good job uh, talking about it. Say this again. Oh, you and Oli did a great job talking about it. Oh, when we were all, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Oli and I did a, did a, a YouTube about it. Yeah, which I'm sure has been taken down. So, you know, that was one of the YouTubes I was saying them at the time. Three different interviews. There's a woman who, who does wonderful stuff and she features a cat and she had been noticing a, a, these anomalies. And then uh, Dean Ryan and I, he was affiliated with a TV show out of Hollywood called Truth Be Told. Correct, yeah. We, we, yeah, we did a, a, a video program about it. And then there's the third one I did with Oli about it. So I sent the links to all three of those videos to all those parties I'm describing above. They didn't raise their least digit, as I explained. Well, when they had an independent investigation, a former federal attorney by the name of Timothy Heapfee, do a review. Uh, he came back with, a, I think it was uh, maybe 220 pages. I could look it up. Uh, uh, it looks very impressive on the face, but he got the wrong driver. You see, the actual driver was this 32-year-old military veteran who commands a brigade up in Ohio, been driving the car, not the 20-year-old diagnosed schizophrenic who wears heavy prescription glasses. You can see that from the images of the driver when you compare them. Uh, Heather Heyer, who was supposed to have been killed in the crash, actually wasn't killed in the crash. She actually died the following day of a heart attack. And, and, and of course, uh, uh, the, there were the three takes, the one with the one car. There was a second where they pre-positioned two different vans. One's a maroon van and been sitting there empty for at least five minutes. 
There was another car behind it, and then the Challenger comes up and crashes into the two cars. They they had no drivers in the car, so they wouldn't suffer whiplash or any other kind of injury. But the actual photograph they used had the one car, not the vans, but the one car with a black Toyota pickup truck beside it. So that, you know, I'm looking at it and now. That's, yeah. And that's the one they put on the cover of the New York Times. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Wow, yeah, it's goodness. unbelievable. Yeah, and I, I think that video is taken down already, or has been taken down rather. Uh, uh yeah. Which, which, which one? Which one, Michael? That's the one with you and Oli talk about. Uh, I believe it was. Oh yeah, yeah. On 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 uh, Charlottesville in Spain. In Spain. We were also right. doing Barcelona. Yeah. Yes, it's very, very good. It's very unusual. But the unusual. fact is, I've just done this. See, I've just in this blog about uh, the uh, the New York Times. And it's so absurd. I mean, the New York Times turns out to be completely worthless. It's nothing but a propaganda vehicle. I, I, I'm astonished. When I was growing up, everyone more or less, you know, thought the New York Times was it. You know, it was the cat's meow. It's officially our Times newspaper have, yeah. of record. I mean, what you read in the New York Times is supposed to be the official history of the United States. But it's poppycock. I mean, it's just full of complete nonsense. It, it looks as though they may have taken down... uh uh, uh, that blog again, I'm looking for it. Maybe I'll, I'll find it here. It'll probably show up here. Yes, here it is. Fake news. The New York Times celebrates a Charlottesville stuntman, a shop photo, and a crisis actor who made her debut in Sandy Hook. That photograph with a stuntman flying in the air, which was Photoshopped, received the Pulitzer Prize, Michael. So they gave Did the really? Pulitzer Prize to a Photoshop photograph. <laughs> really? Yeah. They really and gave that, this, that they, prize. In this, in this article in the Times, Holy they shit. also show a woman who's supposed to be the mother of Heather Heyer. Well, it turns out she's a crisis actor they used at Sandy Hook. She was also the the mother of uh, one of the alleged uh, teachers uh, at Sandy Hook. I mean, it's embarrassing. I put right in the article here where you can see her in her role at Sandy Hook and see her in her role at uh, Charlottesville. I mean, it's that bad. Here's a topper, by the way. Uh, they reported, and this Timothy Heapfee, this former federal attorney, about the death of these two Virginia policemen in a, in a helicopter crash, uh, which is supposed to, you know, uh, give you a lead story because it, uh, in the news business, if it bleeds, it leads. So if you have people who are dying, that's going to get priority. But but it turns out a very skillful guy found the cops didn't die at all. He not only has photographs of them walking away from the crash site arm in arm, still wearing their flight uniforms, he's got a whole video of them doing it. They didn't die at all. By the way, Jim, there is a question for you in the chat room. What does he think about Columbine? Well, I got to admit, I have never done the, done the study of Columbine. You know, it was like that was before my day. I, I got serious into this stuff with Sandy Hook, though I do know a fair amount about Waco, a fair amount about Oklahoma City. I mean, Waco was a catastrophe. It appears that Hillary was just upset that her efforts at health care were being preempted by all the coverage of Waco. She wanted it settled. She put pressure on Vince Foster to to uh, 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 get Webster Hubble, who was then the head of the Department of Justice, and who, incidentally, for those who are unaware, is the father of Chelsea Clinton. In other words, Chelsea is the offspring of Webster Hubble and Hillary Clinton. Bill Clinton had nothing to do with it. You'll find Bill on some occasions has observed he shoots blanks. In other words, he's he, his his sperm uh, <laughs> yes. is infertile. Okay? Right. So so Hillary 
Hillary had Webster put pressure on, on Janet Reno, who was then the head of the FBI. Janet didn't want to do it, but the FBI conducted an assault. They even brought in a tank with a flamethrower and put the old wooden structure. 84 people burned to death, innocent women and children. There's aerial footage where you can see the FBI using automatic weapons firing into the compound. And, and frankly, it was all completely needless. David Koresh, who was the head of the cult, walked in and uh, back and forth to town from the compound to get food every single day. They could have arrested him with no harm to the others. But Hillary was eager to get, you know, her, her, her story back on the front pages and, and the consequence was a catastrophe. My goodness. You know, every time I hear of the Clintons, it never fails, Jim. I always go back and hear this voice, Jim. Yes. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. That voice right there and that speech right there. I know. It, I know. it always does. It never fails. It always goes back to to Monica Lewinsky for some reason. Anytime I I think of the Clintons, my goodness, how well, Monica appears to have been a honey trap. In other words, you know, there's a lot going on here that appears to be Mossad work. I mean, not only do they have a lock on our Congress, but they're manipulating behind the scenes events of this kind. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, for example, of course, is is a dual U.S. Israeli citizen. Uh, Dina Katz, the Hollywood producer who ran the March for Our Lives, is a Jewish producer. Uh, uh, the sheriff, Scott Israel, from Broward County, was the first j j sheriff to be elected uh, who was Jewish, and he campaigned citing the Talmud. Uh, those who are aware uh, there are good Jews and bad Jews, just as there are good Muslims and bad Muslims, just as there are good Christians and bad Christians, bad Muslims, being exemplified by the Wahhabis who, you know, behead the infidels, those who don't believe as they do, and turn their women into sex slaves. Yes. The bad Jews follow the, the Talmud rather than the Torah, which, of course, is the first five books of the Old Testament. That's by the, the way, uh, Jim, by the way, are you open to taking any calls in case anyone out there wants okay, to? Sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. Yeah, I am. I am. I am. Okay, well, in case... In, in case anyone wants to call in, that number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. Don't be afraid to call in. Don't just sit there behind your computers or cell phones. Let your voice be heard here. And Yeah, I love call calls, in. Michael. I love calls. That's one of the reasons I... I, I've always been, you know, interested in like the radio. I, I love callers. So by all means. Yeah, me too. Have, I'd love that's, them. That's a, that's a great idea. I love having calls, but sometimes they seem to be a little bit intimidated at times. It's well, I, what I find is it's something more like the opposite that they're, they're, they're hearing so much they never knew before. Uh, that they don't want to get away and miss, you know, That's they, true, they, when they call in, they're going to miss part of it. And they'd rather hear the discussion than make a call. Right. But, and there's someone else in the chat room that wants to know your thoughts on a families from Sandy Hook suing Alex Jones, which is something I was going to ask you about um, uh, during the course of this uh, interview here. Yeah. Lots of heat with Alex Jones. More families are piling on with the litigation. Yeah, but it's all ridiculous. The school was closed by 2008. That's where I published this other piece about the New York Times. This is the one that, that this, it's Michael Vabner has been coming into my site and messing with it. 
uh, that just lays out the case of how much we know about this whole thing being totally fabricated. You know, there were no students there that, I mean, he's got a vested interest because it can expose that his, his photographs of him as a child were used to, to be Noah Posner. So I'm sure it's at Lenny's instigation with his approval that he's coming into my website that now that I see he's got a background uh, in IT and he's done this training with a with a spook school uh, I don't have any doubt that it's actual actually Michael Vabner himself who's coming in I thought it was Lenny here before but it's yes, Michael Lenny Le- Lenny mm-hmm. Lenny avoids uh you know having his face seen so people won't realize hey that's Ruben Vabner but it's actually Ruben Vabner and, and 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 Michael, think of it. What the logic is impeccable. We have these photographs that are supposed to be Lenny and Noah when when Noah is a kid, right? And and Lenny had a lot of these up on his website initially. So now we've identified that the one who was Noah actually is Michael Vabner. Why should it then come as any surprise? Yes, and that he is there with his father, who of course isn't Lenny Posner, but. Ruben Vabner. So, I mean, it all fits together. It really does. And, uh, and in that discussion I was telling you about on uh, Mike Adams' uh, website uh, for the article, uh, The Most Dangerous Mind in America, Right. he knows too much. The guy who was commenting who was being decent 30 knows too much. Yeah. He's raising subtle issues that, to me, are extremely reveal- revealing and tell me exactly what's going on. Oh, yeah, that that's someone on the inside. And, by the way, does it surprise you, Jim, that we as a nation are as divided as we are? Um, it, it's something I always raise the question on here. And the very last time I felt that this country was ever really sort of together, you know, standing together, was probably weeks that followed after the 9-11 incident. Yeah, and that was a complete sham because, I mean, it was uh, – that's the reason that Bush and Cheney had to steal the election in Florida where Jeb, of course, at the time was governor. Affirmative, yes. Yeah, and where we you know eventually this this consortium – and they've abandoned doing this. You know, we used to have exit polling, so we'd at least have some information about whether what we were being told was the outcome of the vote was or was not true Using these electronic voting machines, they can steal any election they want. That's why when I, I talk about, you know, five, four or five steps I would take to regain control of our political destiny, the first is get rid of electronic voting machines. Not Go back idea. to paper ballots and hand counts. Yeah. It's cheaper. It's slower, but it's overwhelmingly more reliable. And you won't have one election stolen after another. In fact, you know, I, I did a study about Wisconsin here with a fellow who's a complete uh, genius. Richard uh, Charnin is his name. He's a statistician. He's published books about the theft of elections using voting machines. And he discovered that five different elections here in Wisconsin had been stolen since Scott Walker got into office, and including his, you know, the recall election here. Where I was with the hundreds of thousands who were down at the Capitol, you know, protesting because he was gutting the, the unions here in the state, which are a mainstay of the, you know, the responsible working people in the state. In fact, Wisconsin has been turned around from like the most desirable state in the union to live to something akin to the Mississippi of the Midwest, all under Scott Walker. I mean, it's disgraceful. And because they control the voting machines, especially in relation to a couple of key counties, one Waukesha, for example, but where the way they stole the, these elections 
for example, uh, when they had a gubernatorial election between a very talented woman who ran track, you know, track bicycle, Mary, her name will come to me. Richard explained to me they have to go where the votes are, where the biggest bastion of Democratic votes were in Milwaukee County. The, the Democrats had brought in Michelle Obama twice. Uh, Barack Obama, even the big dog himself, Bill Clinton, the Democrats were full of enthusiasm. The Republicans were apathetic. Scott Walker's really a pathetic governor. He's terrible. He's done so much damage to the state. So, uh, you know, it's clear, in my opinion. He's worse than Chris Christie? Pardon me? He's worse than Chris Christie? That's an interesting <laughs> question. You mean in New Jersey there, yeah. Yes. Uh, but, but let me continue. What, ahead, what he pointed ahead. out was in, in Milwaukee, if you studied the voting pattern, the greater the number of votes that were cast in Milwaukee County, a bastion of Democratic support, the greater the percentage of the votes that went to the Republican candidate. Yes, indeed, Jim. And, uh, you know, Jim, I got to tell you, it's always a great time having you here. And one of the things that I always have really been amused by are the comments and responses that I get. Every time you appear on the program, I get emails or uh, YouTube comments. Sometimes these people adore you. Uh, sometimes they don't. There is one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm going to be a polarizing figure. I mean, there's no doubt about it um, because, you know, a lot of people uh, 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 don't want to be wrong. You know, they, they believe in the system. They don't think the media would mislead them. They think the presidents are honest people. They They can't imagine – a Lyndon Johnson having the John F. Kennedy assassinated, a George Herbert Walker Bush being involved supervising a hit team in the Dow Tax. That's just too upsetting to that. And that's over 50 years ago. Yes. And of course, 9-11, they're traumatized. Yeah, they, they and, can't and handle Sandy it. Hook, they say, they, they go bananas because they can't he's so uh, artfully contrived to have maximal emotional impact, Michael. And, and check this out. Check this out. This came from a Twitter, by the way, Jim. Check out what this guy said. He, he told me, why did you interview John Lear? And I told him simply because I can. And then he responded with, he is a liar and a deceiver. Be careful. And so is James Fetzer. I'm only, I'm, I am only telling you for your own good. If, well, yeah, if was they, good of them to tell you for your own good, Michael? If they are. John, John, John Lear is our nation's most distinguished pilot. He still, I think, owns 15 speed records worldwide for travel, you know, fastness in airplanes. He's Mm -hmm. qualified in all areas of uh, airplane maintenance and flight. Uh, He has made uh, made a a brilliant, uh, devastating affidavit in relation to a lawsuit brought in on 9-11 in New York, and they're all bottled up. There's a judge there who won't allow any 9-11 lawsuit to go forward. And, of course, he's Jewish. I mean, this is all, you know, the Zionist way. I never quite finished the point, by the way, about the Talmudic Jews, to identify the bad Jews versus the good Jews, because I think most Jews are good Jews. Uh, I did have, by the way, a little old lady from Brooklyn call me up to tell me how the the rabbi had told the members of her synagogue not to go into New York that day. Oh. So the, the, yeah, the word was out. There was this Odego messaging service that was telling Jewish employees who worked in the World Trade Center not to come in that day. But the point is, those who are the Talmudic Jews believe in Jewish superiority. In fact, this the Talmud may be the most racist document of all time because it claims that Jews are as superior to the other races who exist only to serve the Jews as the human species generally are to the animals. 
that the, that the, the non-Jews collectively referred to as the Goyim, uh, that Jews are entitled lies to eat, she'll even kill them for the benefit of the Jews. And this is what you have going on here, that the, the, the bad Jews, and they, these include the Likudniks, this includes Bibi Netanyahu, this includes many of the prime ministers of Israel. Menachem Begin, for example, has said despicable things about the other human beings, you know, in, in relation to the superiority of the Jews. And, and therefore, you know, this can't be a taboo subject. It's too vital. Uh, Cynthia McKinney uh, revealed that, that I don't believe I've already explained this tonight, Michael, but you correct me if I'm wrong. Go ahead. That when a new, new member of Congress arrives in Washington, they're asked to sign a pledge to put the interests of Israel ahead of those of the United States. That's 100 percent true. And, and those who decline find themselves confronted with a well-financed alternative candidate or even that their district has been redrawn where Cynthia was able to transcend those obstacles, but others, including Dennis Kucinich, whom I regarded as the smartest member of Congress, found his district was redrawn, and he was not. You mentioned Gary King. Gary asked me recently, because we do these shows about, you know, the latest JFK research every single week, which Gary hosts. Right. Did I know how many members of the present Congress had refused to sign the pledge? And I admitted to him I did not know. And he looked at me in the camera, because this was a video between us, holding up one finger of one hand. One member of the present Congress has not signed the pledge to put the interests of Israel ahead of those of the United States. By the way, Jim, that, that message continues with, if they are on the CIA's payroll to spread information or not, I obviously don't know, but they both spread lies. And he goes on to say that John Lear uh, claims that the planes that crashed into the Twin Towers were holographic. And he also went on to say that James Spetzer claims that the Las Vegas shooting was a hoax. Well, of course, all that's true. Uh, here's the deal. I mentioned Dove Zockheim and how the original plan was to use remote-controlled planes to hit the buildings. But when they found that it was impenetrable, that the planes would have crumpled external to the billion, external to the buildings, that nullified the whole idea because they had to get the planes inside the building before they exploded to have a pseudo justification for the collapse of the Twin Towers, which I've already explained did not collapse, but were blown apart in every direction by this sophisticated arrangement of mini or micro nukes. So what you have is somebody is contacting you who either is vastly ignorant himself or is deliberately trying to play you. And, of course, you're not so easy to play, Michael. I, I suspect this is just one more op. I mean, this is just one more op, you know, a very small, you know, excrescence here who is uh, trying to, you know, manipulate the media here. Uh, but John Lear gave an absolutely brilliant affidavit about how it would have been impossible for a 767 to have entered the buildings that the, the, the couldn't have attained the speed that we find in the videos which pilots for 9-11 Truth have also confirmed. They put out a, a brilliant documentary about 9-11 entitled 9-11 Intercepted, where they explain that, that a mistake was made here, uh, where they appear to have assumed that the cruising uh, speed of a 767 at 35,000 feet could be attained at 700 to 1,000 feet, which is impossible because the air is three times thicker. As John Lear explains in his affidavit, uh, the air is so thick the turbines can't suck it through the engines they would begin working as brakes. As pilots for 9-11 Truth explain, uh, the plane would have come a, a, apart physically in the air because it would have exceeded the stress capabilities of the plane. By the way, we, we, 
By, by the yeah, way, Jim, I just wanted to interrupt you really quickly and say that I, I was going to reach out to Mr. John Lear and bring him in here for our interview with, with you, Jim, but he's been feeling a little under the weather, so I didn't really want to bother yeah. him yet. Well, I'm a huge fan of John Lear. Oh, now, that a, doesn't mean I agree with him on yeah. every aspect. He he's, believes a big fan of, uh, he's a big fan of yours, Jim. There's something going on on the far side of the moon, which I don't happen to believe whatsoever, but John Lear's not alone in believing it. John Lear, in my opinion, about these areas where he's an expert about aerodynamics and all that, I mean, he's virtually infallible. And, and the guy who is calling you is just uh, nutty. Listen, it took me as a head of Scholars for 9-11 Truth, as its founder, in fact, uh, to a year and a half to get around to looking at this question of whether there was a problem with the planes. I was I was badgered around the years by Judy Wood and Morgan Reynolds for a year and a half before I began to look at the evidence and realize, my God, they were right. It was physically impossible. One of the virtues of the study of, of science where, as you observed, I have a PhD in the history and the philosophy of science, is you can't, you, you, to develop a firm grasp of the notion of a law of nature. I published extensively on the nature of laws of nature about explanation, prediction, scientific reasoning generally. Laws of nature cannot be violated and cannot be changed. It's a law of material science that in collisions, the more dense material prevails over the less dense. Steel is overwhelmingly more dense than aluminum. You, you, you could no more get a, a, an aluminum aircraft to fly into the Twin Tower and penetrate than you could a, a beer can to pass through a brick wall by throwing it at the wall even as hard as you might want. I mean, it's just incredibly bad, the analogies that have been offered here about it. it truly so this is. guy this guy was either a nitwit or ignorant about science who contacted you or deliberately pushing this information i suspect it's the latter but maybe both the, yes could be the former yes and then also one of the comments that i always receive is the whole cia thing i get that myself and i always say if i was an, an employee by the cia i definitely wouldn't be doing any of this and my wallet would be a lot nicer too that's right that's right that's right that's right well when they say i'm some kind of op i mean for crying out loud I've got four books on JFK. I got two books on 9-11. I got a book on Wellstone. I got books on Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, Orlando and Dallas, Charlottesville. Uh, I've got a book about to appear on Parkland. I'm going to have a follow-up on Las Vegas. I'm blowing apart the government cases, exposing its corruption in some of the most significant events of our time. What kind of an op would I be? I mean, I would have to be the most counterproductive in history and, you know, I could use the money, though, you know, Michael, I agree with we, you. Yeah. You know, where sure. are those? <laughs> Where's the money? Yeah, I mean, I, I really I really wish I was employed by the CIA. Sometimes I really wish I was employed by Clear Channel, but I'm not. And by the way, speaking of Clear Channel, uh, Cumulus and many of these big um, radio companies that, you know, I'm surprised even exist, lots of them are owned by uh, Jewish owners. So perhaps that's why... You're not on uh, another huge terrestrial um, radio program, Jim, just for that reason. Oh, Michael, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. You know, I'm being blackballed. Once I you start are. talking about Israel's involvement, and of course I've committed an even greater sin than that because I, uh, I do not accept the official narrative according to which six million Jews were put to death and 
these uh, extermination centers and gas chambers using Zyklon B. I mean, it's really amazing uh, how much we have been sold a massive pottage about the history of World War II. I began doing research on this subject when I organized with Stephen Francis on the campus of the University of Illinois in 2014 a conference on academic freedom, Are There Limits to Inquiry?, where we use JFK 9-11 and the Holocaust as examples of subjects that tend to be taboo, none more so than the Holocaust. But once I began doing research, it was astonishing to me how rapidly it fell apart. There turned out to have been 236 references to 6 million Jews in dire straits or fear of loss of their lives uh, before the Nuremberg Tribunals beginning as early as 1890. Obviously, that had nothing to do with World War II. The the six million figure is derivative of a theological, not historical or empirical sources, a disputed passage in Leviticus that's been interpreted as maintaining that the chosen people can return to the promised land only when they're minus six million who have been consumed in the flames. But even that requires interpolation, Michael, because there was no word for six million in the original Hebrew. The International Committee of the Red Cross was keeping meticulous records on all of these camps. They were recording the age, the sex, the nationality, the ethnicity, the religion of everyone who died as well as their cause of death. In 1993, they did a recalibration of their total count, which equaled 296,081, none of whom died from being put to death in a gas chamber. There were no gas chambers. In fact, it's fascinating. Ernst Zundel, who became very prominent in Canadian politics, uh, but was prosecuted for denying the Holocaust, had two trials, one in 1985, one in 1988. During the first trial, uh, the prosecution was then unable to produce a single witness, not one witness who could testify to seeing anyone put to death in a gas chamber. The second trial was even more significant because the defense produced an expert on gas chambers by the name of Fred Lochter, who who had gone to Germany, visited the facilities, came back with like a 135-page report and 13 samples demonstrating none of the alleged uh, 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 facilities could possibly have functioned as a gas chamber for a whole host of reasons. It's all nonsense. They were using... Zyklon B, which is a mild form of cyanide to kill body lice, but that was to maintain uh, the health of the inmates. The the lice were spreading typhus and dysentery. They wanted to maintain their health for the reason that these were labor camps, not extermination centers, and you can't get work out of a corpse. Yes. You know, in fact, if you look at the layout of Auschwitz, it's rather fascinating because they had a woodworking shop. They had a symphony hall. They they had a hospital with OBYGYN facilities, Michael. Now, it turns out there were hundreds of babies born in these facilities. So, well, what in the world are they doing giving birth to babies if these are centers of extermination and people are being stripped of their clothing, put into gas chambers, and then cremated? In Good fact, question. there have been estimated that if they were, you know, the amount of energy it takes to cremate a human body, that it would have taken like 20 years to cremate the number of bodies they were claiming. I mean, it's just preposterous on multiple grounds. So, so that get this, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, which is the intellectual arm of the Mossad, asked Jeff Bezos of Amazon.com to get rid of all the books that dispute the official story of the Holocaust 
So Jeff Bezos very obligingly wiped out over 200 books, including another of mine. And I suppose we didn't go to the moon either. Great book, which too. Has, which, yeah, which has four chapters about the moon landing. I guarantee you we did not go. Four chapters on the death and replacement of Paul McCartney, but where he appears to have died in an automobile accident on, oddly enough, 9-11-1966 and was replaced by an even better musician, Two on the first death of Saddam Hussein, who actually was taken out in a B-1 bomber strike on the 7th of April 2003, uh, where they, they realized they'd violated executive orders against the killing of a sovereign uh, head of a sovereign state that had been signed by Ronald Reagan, uh, Jimmy Carter, and Gerald Ford. So they had to take one of his doubles, put him in a spider hole, put him on trial, and hang him. Joe Viles, who was a Australian photojournalist, was the first to notice there were problems with the teeth and the bite, that Saddam had very good teeth and an overbite, meaning his upper teeth extended beyond his lower, but the double had bad teeth and an underbite, meaning his lower teeth extended beyond his upper teeth. I mean, it, yes. and I got I, I got into this from the mother of the pilot who took him out, who who wanted the truth to be told. You know, it's a fascinating story. Then there are two chapters on the the second death of Osama bin Laden because when Barack Obama, uh, you know, launched this raid into Pakistan, yeah, let me let, kill let, him. He'd, he'd already been dead for ten years. Yes, Michael. let let's let's talk about that really quickly here. Even though we are uh, coming to a close, but of course, if anyone out there is interested in wanting. Uh, to know more about some of the subjects that we have been talking about, go to moonrockbooks.com and you can find all of James' books there. I'm covering many of the topics that you're hearing tonight. And uh, yeah, like, like, mm-hmm. yeah, if I can squeeze it in, I just did today. I did today for Memorial Day, uh, an hour and a half on the Second Amendment and the politics of gun control, where I explain how the DNC propaganda campaign is threatening the nation. That, that, that taking away our guns is bad on three different levels. Personal and family security, number one. Community, uh, 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 and social security on the other. And national security in the third place. Just to give you one illustration of each. Uh, if you call the police, if you're not able to defend yourself, it takes them as long as 20 minutes to show up. The mayhem typically takes place in the first five or six. So while you're waiting for the police to show up with their guns when you don't have any, your daughter may have been raped, your wife may have been murdered, you may have been mugged. In terms of family security, Deerfield, Illinois, has banned all the guns. are going to fine their citizens $1,000 a day if they don't give them up. Well, Deerfield is a suburb of Chicago. When the riots in Chicago spill over and they start looting, and, and beating up the people of Deerfield, how are they going to be able to defend themselves? Or if a motorcycle gang came to town, what could they do about it? National security. Emperor Hirohito contemplated invading the United States, but his highest-ranking military advisor said that would be inadvisable because there would be a sniper behind every bush. Just think, if the gun grabbers had their way, we'd all be speaking Japanese today. Right. You are absolutely correct, and my goodness, time has flown by, but we're not just quite done yet. We didn't even get a chance to talk about David Wheeler, another oh, impact Oh, I know, player. I know. <laughs> and by the way, by the way, this new presentation is up on DTube, up on DTube, D-tube. the Second Amendment and the Politics of Gun Control on DTube. I made it for Memorial Day as a former Marine Corps officer who cares about his country. I think I would encourage everyone to share this. And if you think I'm wrong, come in, comment on it. I mean, we've got to engage in a serious debate about gun control because, frankly, 
the Democratic Party is in such dire strait that it's re trying to regain the political initiative. Debbie Wasserman Schultz is worried they could lose as many as 11 seats in Florida alone. So they, they, they are using the gun control. This has been a Democratic op from the beginning where uh, Barack Obama nullified the Smith-Munt Act that precludes the use of the same techniques of disinformation and propaganda within the United States as are used without back in 2012 in time for Sandy Hook. So we've had nothing but an ongoing onslaught ever since. I think also people are completely oblivious that there's something called sponsored state terrorism that has been going on since the dawn of time. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling indeed. And, and I'm so glad to have these opportunities. I, I find you so congenial, so cordial. I, I, I love the sound of your voice. Oh, I just you. feel so comfortable with you, Michael. It's just a, a real pleasure to come on your show. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, my friend. It's always, a, like I said, it's always an absolute pleasure to have you here on the program. Well, there, there's so many fantastic yeah. uh, things. And your, intellig your intelligence is manifest and that you're open-minded and you're not seeking to censor. You know, I appreciate that so much because I'm being targeted for censorship so massively really now, are. it appears, even Michael Vabner, uh, on who, whose photographic record the, the, the fictional Noah Posner was based, appears to be the figure coming into my blog to remove images that prove the very point I just made, which entails in turn that Sandy Hook was an elaborate hoax, which for which we have a hundred different converging lines of evidence. Right. And speaking of bin Laden... Um, the CEO who allegedly shot bin Laden uh, said recently, uh, don't wish me a happy Memorial Day. I'm not sure if you caught that, but that is by Robert O'Neill. Well, it's because the whole thing was ridiculous. Obama did this in order to position himself for a triumphal reelection. Uh, uh, Osama had died on 15 December 2001. He was buried in an unmarked grave in Afghanistan in accordance with Muslim traditions or local obituaries. CNN and Fox News both published on 26 December a notice of Osama bin Laden's death. When I was, uh, you know, when, when Scholars was very active, we were publishing press releases about the latest fake Osama audio tape or the latest fake Osama videotape. Nick Kohlerstrom has a very good article, Osama bin Laden, 1957 to 2001, on my blog at jamesfetzer.blogspot.com, where you can see pictures of the difference between the fake bin Ladens and the real. It was just too convenient for Barack Obama, who turns out to be a fraud from beginning to end. And by the way, we've just had further confirmation about his Kenyan origins uh, uh, in, in, in a story that's going to be making its way out into the public domain very, very soon, uh, that, that he resurrected him to, to have him die again. I mean, it was oh, terrible. Lord. They had a stage photograph of all the high ranking members of the administration purportedly looking at a big screen TV. You saw, you saw Joe Biden, you I saw Hillary that. Clinton, you saw Barack Obama. Uh, uh, but, uh, but, uh. That was staged. That was a staged photo. It was a staged photograph. And Leon Panetta was the head of the CIA admitted that there'd been no coverage for the first 20 or 25 minutes. Well, the entire op only lasted 20 to 25 minutes. It was a staged photo they used, just like the staged photos at Sandy Hook. I mean, it's embarrassingly bad, Michael. Embarrassingly it, bad. It really is. Allegedly, after bin Laden's body was taken back to Afghanistan for full identification, um, no one, 
allegedly saw any of these photos. The Defense Department has said it couldn't well, locate the photos or well, videos. Well, remember, of he was event. buried at sea, which they claimed was in accordance with Muslim tradition, but it isn't. It's disrespectful to the body because the crustaceans, the fish will nibble at it. I mean, you know, well, who knows what predators could uh, dissolve the body. It's not a... It, it, we've just been lied to again and again, and, the, you know, I worry about the public who bears any trust whatsoever in the mainstream media. The alternative is where it's at, which is why they're so massively trying to stomp us out if they possibly can. I think it all backfired, just as Preston James' book, The New Gutenberg Press, reflects, and I appreciate your mentioning if people want to get into the real details, I edited these books and put them together so there'd be a repository of the real history of these events. And you wouldn't be left dependent only on what the mainstream has to say, because the mainstream is lying to you every day. And it turns out the fact checkers they use to fact, you know, to support their phony stories or fake news turn out to be being exposed themselves, where Snopes, for example, turns out to be a CIA op and PolitiFact has just been exposed as well. In fact, one of these uh, most recent blogs of mine was an expose about PolitiFact and how they had blown it about the permit process for the the March for Our Lives, where they just went back to the officer, Scott Earhart, and said, uh, we have a report that the permit was, you know, months in advance. Is that true? And he said, no, it's not true. And they took that as though it were trustworthy. Scott Earhart has now given four different dates for when it happened, but his initial report, which was done before he realized this was a political hot potato, explained very specifically that the permit was issued months in advance and there was months of prior planning and he's identified the name of the March for Our Lives on 25 March. He, he has claimed retrospectively he confused different marches. He didn't confuse anything. He's just He's just practicing the, the old uh, cover his uh, hiney uh, right here to the end, Michael. It's embarrassing, shameful, and, but it means that PolitiFact turns out to be exposed as well. Damage control, Jim, that's what it is. And Damage control indeed, Michael. Yes, sir. And the one other thing I did want to get your opinion on before I do let you go, and again, I do appreciate our time greatly, and um, the next thing I did want to ask you was about the NFL's new national anthem policy. I know you're a big football fan, so I would love to hear your thoughts and opinions on this um, political I admire controversy. Dick, Dick, the, the police violence against blacks is unprecedented. You have police taking innocent people and pumping them full of lead. It's a disgrace. The players, in my opinion, have the right to display, but it has taken a toll on viewership. They NFL, do have the right to yeah, protest. That, NFL that is viewership right. has been dramatically decreased. People want their sports and their politics separate. Correct. I yes. believe the players have the right. I also understand the owners are, are catastrophic because they're losing revenue and they don't want it to happen. So now they're going to allow the players to simply not come on, on the field when they play the national anthem where for which everyone has to stand. Uh, maybe that's an okay compromise. I mean, it is a business for them, and frankly, these pro games are all rigged. I've got a guy who predicts every single outcome of every single game, and I don't know him to have been wrong yet based upon the betting line. Good Lord. But, yes, I agree with you. The players do have the right to protest but, again, the NFL is a private organization, a, a private company, and they do um, implement the rules, even though I don't agree with that at, at all, really. 
This is very tricky because uh, it really is. Michael, it really look is. what's going on with the social media giants like YouTube exercising the censorship. I mean, they're clearly doing it as instruments of the deep state. There's just no doubt about it. You look at the pattern, the evidence is overwhelming. People will say, well, they're private companies and have the right to do it. But think about this. Uh, 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 restaurants and hotels were private companies, too, who were discriminating right. against blacks in the past before civil rights. We need new legislation to protect evil equal playing field for the alternative press, which is doing its best to bring the truth in relation to the mainstream, which is doing nothing but propaganda on behalf of the deep state again and again and again. Once again, James, thank you so much for being a part of the program. It's always an honor and a privilege to have you here and grace us with your incredible presence, my friend. You are truly a, a joy to talk to. Well, you're a terrific host, Michael, and I always enjoy coming on your show, so I look forward to yet another. Yes, sir. And before I let you go, any final words, um, any plugs you want to do before we part ways? Yeah, for Memorial Day, really. This gun control thing has got completely out of hand. You got a guy named Eric Silwell in the 5th District or 15th District in California who wants there to be gun confiscation at gunpoint to take guns away from the American people. This has got completely out of hand. He's violating his oath of office. He swore to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. Here he's subverting and sabotaging it. I encourage you, go to DTube if you've never been there before. Check out the Second Amendment and the politics of gun control. Do yourself a treat for Memorial Day. Review the bidding about this gun control issue and see where you come out. Make your comments on the video. Anything, whether you agree or disagree, just give me your reasons, because every American has to care about this issue. Uh, the DNC propaganda campaign is threatening the safety of our nation. Moonrockbooks.com. Go ahead and get your copy today. So, Jim, once again, thank you, my friend, and God bless and Godspeed. Thank you, Michael. Thank right. you so much. Ma Mahalo. Let's have a yes. great Memorial Day. You too, my friend. Mahalo. Thank you. And there he goes. That was James Fetzer, a wonderful guest, a wonderful guy. And when I return from this little break, we'll be taking your calls if you are out there. Stay tuned. It's going to be the possibility of an electromagnetic pulse, which will shut down the grid. The government's own study said that if the grid is shut down for a year, 90% of the American population would be dead. And welcome back to the program. Hello. How's everyone doing out there? Often imitated, never duplicated. Always so nice to see so many of you still locked in. Thank you for being here with me. For those who are new in attendance, let me take a moment to reintroduce myself to you now. My name is Michael, and I am the host and producer of this very neat program. This is a call-in show. Please feel free to call in whenever your heart desires. I'm always willing to talk to you, for better or for worse. That number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. Now, I've got some emails to go over, some people to thank, a little news to go over. Your phone calls, again, are always welcome to hear. Now, let's start off with something everyone can relate to here, and that, of course, is the whole Morgan Freeman situation. How many times have we seen these creepy men out there, especially when you are waiting in line? Is that who Morgan Freeman is? Is he one of those guys who stands behind you in line, a little too close, 
for comfort. I don't know. It seems like that, though. And I believe I am joined now by uh, one named Star. Hello. Hello, Star. How are you? Uh, not that great this evening. Just been kind of sick all day. So. What's wrong? How? Why are you sick? Oh, I just I don't know. Something's going around that kind of queasy, hard to breathe. Oh, that's terrible. Well, yeah, it is. I don't like it. Yeah, and by the way, I was just about to talk about Morgan Freeman here. I was alluding that he's one of those creepy guys who stand behind you in line. Perhaps I'm just throwing that out there. He strikes me as one of those. Yeah, I get that creepy vibe, especially reading um, the latest developments, the latest that he got hit with inappropriate behavior and harassment by a woman. Oh, no, because I... We love Morgan Freeman, yes, and um, this complaint comes from a woman who was on set. Right, and of course, mm -hmm, this wasn't something that happened 20 years ago now, Star. This is something that happened very recent in time. Well, damn. I know, right? Holy shit. I love Morgan Freeman. Yeah, and he was God, too, remember? Right, he, those voiceovers. How can you forget that (laughs) voice? That very powerful voice. Yeah, he was, uh... Oh, what was it? Almighty. Somebody Almighty. Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty, right. Right. Great film, man. Apparently he was um very touchy, very hands-on approach with, with one of the young actresses there. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, apparently he was commenting on one of the actresses of figure figures and, and trying to lift her skirt, apparently. What? Yeah, and she was, she, I, I believe he was asking her if she was wearing underwear. I know it's it's goddamn terrible. Yeah, it is. I have reached out to uh, and I reached out to Morgan Freeman's PR to get a response from his PR, but of course, um, they haven't responded. Of course not. <laughs> no kidding. And my God, will you ever be able to listen to that voice the same way? Never. Will you be able to watch the movies he's been involved in now? Oh, I probably won't watch them now. It's, that it's a little sucks. creepy. It's a little creepy, right? It's like a Harvey Weinstein um, production all over again. Well, oh no, just no, 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 Harvey. Uh, uh, that's a, that's as bad as Creepy Joe. I'm grossed. Uh, oh, <laughs> Creepy Joe Biden. Uh, oh, I don't want to talk about these creepy guys. They're yeah. making they're making the rounds. They're making the rounds, and it's terrible, really. Well, they can go round somewhere else. <laughs> right. It, it, it is especially disheart disheartening that. Apparently, there's also a video of this happening, too. I don't want to see it. I don't either. This is bad. Really, really bad. And it's always interesting to me when someone... Uh Uh-huh. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say, I thought Max and Cody and Phoenix were all going to call it if I called in, and I don't hear anybody waiting on the line yet. I don't think anyone's going to call in. Everyone's too afraid to jump in. Okay, Star, you do that. (laughs) Go ahead. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for that wonderful call. Okay. Right. Mahalo. <laughs> bye And there goes Star. Yes, everyone is afraid to call in here. That number is 760-332-8724 if you uh, dare to call in, if you are brave. 760-332-8724. And that is the number. Yes, I am talking about Morgan Freeman right now. And, oh, my God, I'm disgusted, really. And as I was saying, it's always interesting to me when someone of this fame, someone of this uh, magnitude here, uh, goes into this and 
and I believe, I believe that's Max here now. I think Max wants to jump in here, and that's fine. Maybe he has a comment to make about uh, Morgan Freeman. Are you shocked, Max? Oh, my God. Yeah, I am quite... Are you blown away? Yeah, I was disturbed. No shit, right? This is, um, this is a big one. Yes, indeed. Because I, I love, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'm just excited. I mean, I, I really do enjoy Morgan Freeman. So I'm kind of in a pickle right now. I'm, I'm contemplating all these things in my head and I'm just like, God damn, one of the good ones is, is going down. Yep. Holy shit. Come. Holy shit. It's brutal. And, uh, as I was saying, Max, um, it's always interesting to me to see this happen to someone that's so, that's, that's a, Notoriety, yeah. Of someone yeah. of this this uh, level, this this level of magnitude, being a um, public figure is definitely not easy. Yeah, it's not, crazy. Not easy, man. Especially if you are a top talent in the business, you are definitely under the the microscope. Your every word and action, right there, captured on video. Yep. God damn, yep. Max. I'm, I'm just. I don't even know what to say. I'm I'm kind of speechless right now. Well, the thing I think is tricky about it is there's no real set protocol on set or behind the scenes or when people are doing interviews. So there is this flirting that goes on. Anything goes kind of, sorry about that. Anything goes kind of mentality, you think? Yeah. I mean, there's no HR department there with the sexual harassment videos. So, you know, I think when you mix that and and certain personality types, it does get kind of out of hand. Uh, And I think that goes to, but, you know, they're on TV, so, I mean, this goes on everywhere, you know, even at the, the grocery store. So, I mean, I see it. And when I go and check out, and you know, Ralph's out here, you know, I see uh, managers flirting with cashiers and saying things that are inappropriate. So, I mean, it's kind of a tricky situation because where do you draw the line when you have that, you know, kind of a co-ed environment? Yeah. Where do you draw the line? And, yeah. again, it's just one of many, one of many who have been taken down. And this reminds me of those who work in places like Fox News. Yeah, once again. And, yeah, I'm looking at you, Bill O'Reilly, and you, Eric <laughs> Bowling. You know, I still get very heated about about people who are this irresponsible and try to lie and decoy and deceive the American population. Mm-hmm. Holy moly. Holy moly. It's just um odd, especially some people that lean really hard to the right. Never forget that these are just people. They do not warrant any sort of worship or um, idolization of any kind, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. And no one really likes to discuss that. They don't like to get into that sort of thing. Those who tend to lean far right. Yeah, nobody wants to talk about the behavior amongst themselves, but they're quick to draw the line on others. Very quick. Yes. And did you enjoy the interview earlier? It was fantastic, by the way. That was a great great interview and he was wound up and ready to go he was locked and loaded from the second you said hello and uh man he is such a you know what's what i was saying this in chat i think he's a you can tell he's a writer because when he talks it is very descriptive and uh he just has a great way of breaking things down uh and um you know he just he's he's like full blast full speed ahead he's ready to go Uh, so it's cool when he comes on he was fired up right yeah he was he was ready to go Locked and loaded. I don't know what happened there, but he he was um, firing on all cylinders all cylinders that time, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he, was, he was like uh, an AR-15 without the. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, shit, right? Oh no shit. 
Um, Max, I, I do want to thank you for calling in here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, before, before I let you go, though, Max, um, I, I did want your opinion on people like Louis C.K. and um, other other people who have faced these issues with the whole sexual harassment um, incidents that we are seeing nationwide here. And they're picking up. What do you make of these people? Do you think they're going to ever return to their careers? Potentially, yeah, because I do think entertainment's very forgiving. Uh, and I think that um, it's full of this kind of indulgent personality types. It just depends because I do think people can pick back up on their careers. Um, it's it's really unfortunate, though. I, you know, the, the behavior that you see is just outrageous, uh, to say the least. But it doesn't surprise me because I'm so close to it and I see it all the time. Uh, so when you see somebody get called out for it publicly, it's not that big of a surprise. But um, I can see how to anyone outside of L.A. and outside of the Hollywood loop would be like, holy shit, this is actually going on. But, um, you know, you know how it is out here in California. I think we're kind of used to seeing some outrageous stuff, even though it is crazy. But uh, it's disappointing, though. I mean, because I think people put on these false personas and then behind closed doors, they're like really monsters. Uh, yeah, certainly. Definitely, Max. I agree with you 100 percent. So uh, thank you, Max, for that call. Absolutely, man. Thanks for taking it. And uh, great right, show tonight. Again, really, really good shows. Great listening. All right. Take care, Max. Cheers, my friend. Bye-bye. Shout out to Star, by the way, and everybody in the chat. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Bye-bye. See you. And I believe I will be bringing on yet another soul with me right now. And here she is, Vanessa, my Florida correspondent. Oh, hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Yes, and of course, I do want to thank you for the recent story you sent me. Oh, of Otis Ryan? Of Otis Ryan. You're doing a fantastic job. A Florida man. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> you really are. Florida man scares kids at playground ranting about where babies come from, police say. He had like a butterfly tattoo on his face? He had, oh my God. You people, <laughs> you people out there need to really look this up right now. This gentleman, um, his mugshot, he's like mean mugging the, the, the camera. I got the, got the teeth uh, displayed there. And he's just acting, he, he looks like he's wilding out right there in that photo. Yeah, he was, yeah. The butterfly tattoo on the face, very tribal. Yeah, I mean, he looks scary as hell. He's a wild man. And yeah. It, it goes on. I mean, mm-hmm, go ahead. Telling people where babies come from oh is not, is, I would expect worse from him. Seriously. And yeah. Mm-hmm. This man with facial tattoos was arrested in Clearwater Beach this weekend after police said he climbed the top of a piece of a playground equipment and began telling children about where babies came from. Yeah. That's uh, Otis that they, that they come out of women. That they came out of a women's um, um, special place. Yeah, downstairs. Downstairs. And, of course, oh, my God, th- this is terrible. And he is being um, fined, by the way. Yeah, I mean... $118? Well, I mean, that's not really enough. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, apparently these were kids between the ages of four and six years old. Can you imagine? If if I had a son or da- daughter and this guy was going after them like that, I would lose my goddamn mind. Has anything weird ever happened to you at a park? I once saw a crack pipe. You've seen a crack <laughs> Well, you know, now that you mention it, I have seen a syringe. Okay. But this was, this wasn't in, in El Centro, however. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. And by the way, Vanessa, since you are in Florida, have you, have you been paying, have you been paying attention? There's some sort of storm coming your way yet again. Yes, but, um. You're not worried. Best. 
Oh, no, it's not near you? I'm used to it already. It's like whatever now, right? Yeah, I mean. It's like who gives a shit, right? It's like every other week. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I don't, I, I like stormy weather. I just don't like when the internet goes out. You like stormy Daniels? No. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I don't. Actually, I don't like her that much. You don't really like her? No, I don't, not because of anything. I just think she's kind of like, um. Kind of trashy? Kinda, she, no, not even what she does. I don't judge, but she's like. I don't judge her either. She's been, she's like bitchy. You think she's kind of cunty? I wasn't going to say cunt, but you like saying cunt. I love that word. It feels really good. It, you know, it, it really does. I, I hate to say it because I know it really does piss people off. There's a word in Spanish that's fun to say. I'm not going to say it, but it's a bad word. And it Is feels it just like when you say cunt, it feels just like that. Oh, my God. And I believe someone else is calling here. Let's bring them in, Vanessa. All right. Let's see, let's see what they want. <laughs> and uh, I think, I don't know what happened. I thought they were here, and now they're gone. Oh, I scared them away. I'm sorry. No, you didn't scare them away. Okay. Are you guys here? Oh, there he is. Look, it's Phoenix calling in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hello. Phoenix. Hi, Phoenix. How you guys doing? We're doing good. Phoenix, have you been drinking tonight? Of course. My goodness, Phoenix. How many? How many have you launched in there? Oh, what? Yeah, how many? I'm sorry. How many beers did you drink tonight, my friend? None. None? I do, dude. You're lying. I don't drink beer. What dude, What are you no, drinking? I don't, liquor? No, what? I drink rum. Oh. Oh, he's like a pirate. I know. <laughs> no, man. Come on, y'all. Be freaking. No, what's going on, guys? We. What, what are you guys? We missed what? you. Phoenix, I heard no. you didn't like me very much. <laughs> That's not true. Is that true? That's, that's, There's been no. whispers, so you know it's a good point. Yeah, I heard no, a bird, and it told me. It's oh not true. God, no, that's Vanessa. That, oh, my God, that's not true. I love you. I love you. You are, you rock, Vanessa. I love you. Okay, okay, but okay. I'm just going to say that. I'm do. just going to pretend you were drunk, and that's why you said mean things about me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways. I never. No, excuse me. No, I never, ever said. What? I never said mean things about you, Vanessa. <laughs> he would never say that. Okay, okay. No more drama. Okay. No, no, because I would never say anything mean about my Vanessa. Because I would never say, but I think you rock. Very nice. <laughs> and by the way, okay, Phoenix, okay. we were talking about Morgan Freeman a moment ago. Um, what are your thoughts oh and opinions God. of this oh, man? Jesus. What? I mean, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Because it's like, you know what, Morgan Freeman, he's cool, but... I don't like him. Well, now his name has been tossed out there. That's true. With others. I mean, it's like, I mean, can can it just stop? Can it just stop? I mean, my God, man, Morgan Freeman has a voice from God, you know. That's true. And now he's been accused of inappropriate stuff. Oh, my God. Right? Yes. Everybody, everybody, everybody is accused of inappropriate stuff. Of sexual misconduct. Oh, I, like, I feel like everybody has kind of like, not that everybody's rapey, but I feel like <laughs> everybody has done something rapey before. Everyone has done something that's not appropriate yeah, by... Yeah, I've come on to people before. Right. So, you know, it's, <laughs> people have acted I inappropriately. Know. Yeah. By today's uh, standards, we've all... Cross the line to a certain degree. 
Exactly. I know. I agree. I know. Yeah. I agree with the guys. But, like, but here's the thing, man. Like, this shit is going on, you know, and it's like, you know, 15 years ago, oops, I looked at a guy, and 20 years has gone by, and it's like, oh, my God. It's like, that's fucked up. You know, in 20 years, I mean, what the fuck is going (laughs) on, people? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, okay, I'm not straight. I'm a gay guy. All right? All right? I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm a gay guy. You are? I would, you know, I we would have never I known. I never well, guessed. Yeah. Uh, it's a mystery. Dude, I know. Dude, I know. But. Wait, you're you know, gay? Here's the thing. I know. But. So here's you hide the thing. it so well. Like, I know. But, and so, you know, like, let's say that 20 years ago, I might have, you know, spanked Michael on the but a little okay. bit. No, maybe I like. Oh my god! I know, I know. But then twenty years later, I'm accused of being a sexual predator. I mean, come on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's terrible. And yeah. you know what I'm saying? And 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 and, and maybe like I thought Vanessa was a cute little hottie and. 15 years ago, I pinched her on the butt. Oh, my God. Right? I'm, I'm now, right here, Phoenix. I'm so, right here. I know. And like, and, like, 20 years later, I'm accused of being some kind of pervert, sexual predator. Sexual deviant. On the butt. I know. Yes. It's gotten so, dude, it's gotten so crazy, right? Yeah. It really I mean, has. What the fuck? What the fuck? But I mean, I, I do like I do like knowing that a Mr. Harvey Weinstein will be arrested and charged. I think he was already um, taken yeah, in. See, I don't feel like he should be charged. Think he, he yeah, was, I mean, think he got out on bail, right? One million dollars. Yeah, but I don't, well, I don't. I feel like he didn't. I mean, I feel like maybe they should sue him for money or whatever. But I don't think he should go to jail or anything. Well, so here's the for thing. that, I mean, for, like, for 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 like, come on, I mean, like those women, they probably did it. Whatever, I, don't know. I have weird feelings about it. Well, I mean, not- so here's here's my thing. So if you know Harvey Weinstein, whatever the fuck, you know, if it was twenty years ago, I mean, come on. Yeah, it's ago, been a long time. I feel like they their yeah. time like to like come out. It's 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 kind of past. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Okay. It's like if now, you pinched if it was, my butt 20 years ago, I can't do anything about it now. Although right. I was underage 20 years ago. That's not the case <laughs> with that's not the case with uh, Morgan Freeman, however. This was not something that happened 20 years ago. This was something that happened in 2015, I think, or 16. Yeah. That's not that long ago. I know, but I really well, don't but believe people. And when money's involved, I don't know. That's true. Weird. However, I, I really, however, this was captured on video, and there was another actor who um, questioned Morgan about about this incident he kind of stopped him from uh further uh for further harassment rather yeah if i recall which is that's terrible to, to even think that it that even happened holy shit yeah that is weird well but here okay here's my whole thing okay you know what i you know what on video though when i was sport on video yeah there's receipts well all right but hi right, so but when I was 14 years old. Oh God! You know, I worked in no, but I worked in tobacco. You know, I, I'm from Kentucky. We we work in tobacco. So, you know, you know, at one point I was working in tobacco, and this guy, my boss, took me up on 
he, you know, he, he took me up on the water truck and, you know, he grabbed my dick. All right. You know, and that was when I was 14 years old. Oh my God. You know, and I know, but pretty early. And so dark. it got dark. I was four. What? It got dark in here. Yeah. Like, I feel like, anyway, yeah, is this like therapy? I feel like I got raped now. Yeah. No, but, <laughs> but what I'm saying is though, that was when I was 14 years old. Meanwhile, I didn't wait until I was 28 or 38 to complain about it. <laughs> I went. Uh-huh. That's like know, a big when, difference. <laughs> a big difference. No, no but, 28. No. I know, right? No, I was but 50. what I'm saying, though, when I was 14 years old, that dude grabbed my dick, and it was inappropriate. I did not wait. I went. Oh, this is like Kevin Spacey. Like Kevin Spacey. Dude, I'm telling you, like, the truth, man. I was like, I was like, right then, I was like, this dude grabbed my dick. I was not happy about it. As you know, I was gay. And, I, you know, if he had been a young guy, I would have been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you would have been down with it. Right. You were were already gay, right? Yeah. At that point? Yeah. But the thing is, though, I reported it. I reported it right then and right there, bro. And so, you know, these women who are saying, you know, 10 years ago, yeah, he grabbed my pussy. That that is questionable. 10 years ago, job saying. I hear you. I don't believe them. I think people also, they try to do things to, like, stay relevant. Right, right. Promoting something or whatever. Yeah. And here's the the thing I was asking. I was asking Max earlier about this, about the people that – are taken away um, from their careers momentarily for these sexual allegations or their whatever wrongdoings they did. And it, it reminds me of Louis C.K. and uh, Kevin Spacey. And I always say, will these guys make a strong comeback? That That's what I always wonder. Um, Phoenix, go ahead. Do you think they'll make a strong no. comeback? Well, I mean, it doesn't matter, man. Because, I mean, the thing is, you know, once you lose the validity of your argument, Obviously, you're not. Because, you know what? <clears throat> when I was 14 years old and I got groped. You got groped. I'm not going to say. I got groped by that guy and I knew it was wrong. Right. I stood up for myself right then, right there. I did not mm-hmm. wait and, and, 10 um, years. Right, Phoenix, I, I want to ask you, though, um, before this incident occurred in your life, were you already in your mindset? Were you already gay? Did you determine that? Hell about, yeah. You really okay? Yes. At what age oh, did you? Absolutely. What age did you know? Um, that you know what age exactly did you know that you were um gay? Oh shit. And how did that make you? I don't feel? know. You don't remember what age you were when I, that kind of got into your head? Me, you got that self identity at all? Y'all asking me too many questions, bro. I'm just but, curious about your life. So, no, I mean, okay. So the thing is. I knew I was gay. Right. Very young. Okay. Okay. That guy groped me, you know, when yeah. I was 14. We got I that. I knew it was wrong. We got that part, right? But, okay, so, but, let me say this. If that, you know, okay, if somebody younger than him, somebody who is more attractive than him, I would have been okay with it. You're all for it, right. See, isn't you know that like being a hypocrite but, or you're judging? No, 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 not at all. Okay. Because I was 14 years old. That guy that like wrote my junk, he was like in his 60s or something. But I, I mean, feel like I mean, it was, it, 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 nobody should do that. Was, Even no matter what they look was, like, no matter what. Yeah, that, they are. that's true. No, no one should put okay, their hands but, on you, though. I mean, it was it, okay. 
So it was a violation. He, he got violated. Like 60 or something. Yes. That's creepy, but, man. That, that's that's kind of creepy. I know. Yeah, but, I'm sorry about oh, I'm that, sorry that happened to you, by the way, Phoenix. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. It's all good. But let me say this. Yes. Because I used to work in, you know, like belly hay and all that. If it had been a younger guy, somebody who was like young and hot and who was closer to my age, I would have been all for it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Even if he was over age? Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm okay. saying? See, okay. <laughs> okay. I disagree. Okay. I disagree because, with you, though. Well, okay, because when I was 14, that's when that old guy kind of like grabbed me and shit. Did you tell – who did you tell? Did you tell your parents? Oh, hell yeah. Well, okay. I didn't tell both my parents. I told my mom, and she was like, I'm going to kill him and all that. What about but your dad? Did you have a good relationship with your father, by the way? I'm Now I'm curious. My, no, my dad was already dead. Oh, your he dad was dead. Died. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. I know. But so here's the thing, bro. So, but here's the thing. You know, at that same time, you know, when I was 14 and whatever, whatever, and I worked on the farm, there was this guy who was much younger. He was like, oh, my God, he was, like, beautiful. And if he had been that guy. You were all for it, right. Yeah, yeah, we get it. We get it, Phoenix. We get it. Okay, excellent. You like the lookers. So there's, like, (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, you know, being that age, you don't want to be groped. You want to be loved. Well, yeah. Okay. We get you. Yeah, I feel like. um, I think we understand now. Yeah, I feel like this is the wrong show for that. Yeah, Yeah, this is the wrong show for that. (laughs) My goodness. So, um, Phoenix, Uh, what happened to this elderly gentleman? What what, uh, transpired after these events? Oh, I don't know, man. You don't know? (laughs) Probably. I don't know. He croaked. I never. Because. No, because so the way that he got to me was, you know, we were working on a farm. Uh oh. Tobacco. I know it's tobacco, and so I just after that I didn't work there anymore, and so I, I just know. killed a spider. Okay, sorry. Good. I don't. I don't like spiders, by the way. Thanks. What? Creep I normally me out. don't kill them, but like they I creep me out. Body right now. <gasps> No, don't kill the spiders. They creep me out. Yeah, they're the scary. Spiders. No, no, no. The spiders are the weavers. They're dangerous out here, though, my friend. Yeah, and no, this one we're looking kind of like the brown one. Yeah, we got those uh, out here. Yeah. Uh, Screw that. But, yeah. But anyways. Rip. Rest in peace. Yes, going back to your story. Yeah, once again, I'm sorry that you experienced such a traumatic incident in your life, my friend. But, hey, but it's not, it wasn't traumatic, dude. I mean, it was just like, it, I mean, it was just, I mean, that's I what mean, it clearly was. it is. You're I talking mean, about it 30 years later. That's true. I mean, if some, some old guy well, grabbed my dick, I'd be traumatized. <laughs> well, not only that, man, but he, like, targeted me because, okay. you know, I don't know. Good Lord. Well, once again, um, Phoenix, I do want to thank you for your call. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us here tonight. (laughs) Thanks for ruining it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, Vanessa, be nice. (laughs) Uh, Producer, um, cut cut this part out, producer. Thank you. Oh, was I not muted? Was I not (laughs) muted there? I'm sorry. I was talking to the producer of the program. That's you. I know. I'm, I'm joking here. 
By the way, Phoenix, I once again, thank you for calling in. I do hope you enjoyed the interview with um, the former professor, James Fetzer. And I think he, he might have, I think he died. Oh, he died. Well, rip. Phoenix, are you alive? <clears throat> yeah. No. Okay. Okay. What I'm happened James there? Fetzer. Oh, my God. Did you have a brain him. fart? <laughs> no. What happened? Why, why are you being mean, boy? Be, because we got to wrap it up here. We're running out of time. Oh, no. <laughs> what time is it? It's 11.17 p.m. Pacific Standard what? Time out here in California, and oh time is California. never on our side. Oh, my God. California people. I know. Jeez. We're awful out here. <laughs> I know. No. Okay, I have a question. Go ahead. All right. Fire away. You, what? What? Okay. What? That was your question? What's what? your question? <laughs> no, no, no. So, no, hey. <clears throat> What do you think about being a sanctuary state? That's a loaded one. I know. I, I you know, but, I don't even know what to even make of that. You know, they've been trying to do this for years. They've been trying to divide California. And I'm not quite sure if that's going to happen. I, I hope it doesn't happen. You but, love it because I mean, you want it to be like a California Republic. Well, that's kind of true. Yeah. Part of me likes the chaos. Yeah. That's true. I'm not going to lie about that. I'm not a right-wing wacko by any stretch of the imagination, and I'm not a Democrat or any of those things. I'm a free spirit. Basically, like, you know, I grew up idolizing, you know, people like Michael Parenti. I'm not even quite sure if you even know who that is, but um, long story short, I try to bring him back onto the program, but he is not doing so well. He's a lot older in age now, and he he's a bit of a radical. But, you know, I grew up idolizing people who are kind of wild. I think that might have um, helped shift my political view of the world, perhaps. Are you drunk? No. <laughs> oh. Are you drunk? <laughs> oh, yeah. I should be asking you that. <laughs> no, dude, come on. Nice. I'm pretty sober here. Yeah. Firing Damn. away at you here. My goodness. Hey. Well, thank you for calling in. We we love you, Phoenix. We hope everything goes well for you. Mahalo. Yeah. Mahalo. <laughs> and there he goes, my friends. Um, great call there. I, I think he might have had another question. I'm not quite sure. But we are limited in time here. And, Vanessa, I do want to thank you very much for, you know, for that, the news story out of Florida there. And no problem. I don't know what just happened, but it was great. It was a good time. It it, it was weird. It got weird. It but. got it got a little dark there. It got really dark there. But I mean, you know, it, it's very much like the Amazon Echo situation that recorded and sent the couple's conversation all without their knowledge. It was kind of like that. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I'm not even quite sure if you even know what I'm referring to. That Amazon I Echo. I think I saw it like trending, but I don't. I don't think I clicked on it. What happened? Why would Why would anyone want that device though? Oh, actually, I like it because it meows when you say it meows? meow. It meows. Oh, yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah, you say meow like a cat and it <laughs> meows. It's really cute. <laughs> I just think shit. That's a bad idea, especially. No, it definitely is. Especially annoying what we've known for a long time now. Especially me. I know how easy it is and how simple it is to compromise someone's computer just by sending a fake JPEG. Um, but, yeah. But that's another story. Anyways. Um, this device, however, however, recorded this couple's conversation, and I think, goddamn, 
if we already know this is happening, why would you want to volunteer to buy one of these products? I don't know. I think people like people are dumb. People are dumb, and then they see other people the have hell? it, and they want it. It's why? Like weird. Yeah, why the hell would you want that? It's not even that good, to be honest. Is it kind of slow? It's it's slow, and then like if you have like if you live in a noisy household, it kind of like picks up all the noises, uh, and then you're like, yeah. yeah, like it's cool, it's fun. You know, you get to talk to her, you get to ask her. Well, well, Alexa, <laughs> anyways, you get to ask Alexa how she's feeling, and then she replies. It's oh, for boy. sad people. <laughs> I, I would have to assume so, but yeah, <laughs> eventually the technology will just increase, 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 and it'll be far more bizarre than it already is now, right? Yeah, for real. My goodness. Once again, Vanessa, thanks for being a part of the program. You know I love you. No problem, Michael. Thank you. Anytime. Yeah, thank you for being on, and you definitely add to the program and make it a better show. Aw, thank you. No doubt. Well, That was really sweet, actually. Oh, well. Look at you being I, all cute. I have to every now and then. You're always cute. Thank you. All right. All right, sweetheart. Good night. Good night, Fred. All right, bye-bye. And there goes Vanessa. And if you are listening to this on a replay, keep in mind you can listen every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time on the TuneIn Radio app. And the Phoenix, I am so sorry I had to cut you off there. If you enjoy this program and want to help fund this project, go to michaeldeacon.com. This program completely depends on its listeners. That means you sitting there. Go ahead and share this with your friends and family. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Sherry. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like, you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. It's crazy. I had no idea they should have worked this before 
Jesus fucking Christ with these guys. I come on the news for two seconds, and, and you want to say, every All time right. I do an interview, a guy wants to open his fucking mouth. Can't All right, even Andrew, do a little thank you very much. Here. We thought that you, you could know, hold go back. fuck yourself, you know what? All I'm right. Fuck the whole fucking network. We'll go back to uh, talking about Art Carney.